When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, it's the 19th of September, 2022, and it's time for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. I am merely one half of your hosting duo. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C. My name is Luke Thomas, as I indicated earlier. Probably you'll see some graphics on the screen. I am joined by my friend and yours. He goes by a lot of names, some of them good, some of them bad. I call him the King of Connecticut. He's my friend and yours. It's Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian Campbell. Luke, I'm like that thorn in your side that... You know, off color of your toenail that just won't go away. But after a while, Luke, you kind of get used to it. You know, I'm. Let's do this thing, right? You're the fungus on my toenails. You know, at some point, though, when the colors change so rapidly each time you stub them into the staircase, inevitably, it does begin to look a little like art. <laughs> I don't think that's how art works, but there's interpretations of art, nevertheless. Uh, appreciate <laughs> yeah. you joining us all here today, BC. I know you were busy over the weekend following a. Very lackluster, I would argue. Triple G Canelo trilogy fight. We'll get to that. Jose Aldo you know, Luke, has retired. You know, I would be really upset about how badly that fight blew and how excited I got myself and in tune may have gotten the MK audience a little bit too excited. And then, you know, sometimes Luke, they sometimes it's they shit in your hands, right? But Luke, something happened to me the the night before, Friday night in New Haven, Connecticut. Blood in the streets in the town of... No. Luke, do you know what happened to me? You saw a concert by a very underwhelming band that no one cares about? <laughs> I saw a band, my favorite band in the world, My Morning Jacket. But the thing is, Luke, I hadn't seen them in nine years. And they took five years off of recording and, and for the most part, touring. Do you know what I hadn't realized in that time, Luke? What? That a very, very good band became great. I'm not doing the... The uh, 1917 Uncut Gems bit here, okay? But Friday night, I saw the best concert of my entire life. All right. Well, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. Uh, first thing, And first, I'm still high from it, Luke. Very good. Uh, thumbs up on the video if you're watching on YouTube. Hit subscribe if you're new in joining us. We appreciate you. We do this live Monday, Wednesday, Friday, live 11 a.m. in the East. So we appreciate you joining us. You can see our socials there on the screen. Morning Combat is everywhere, including on TikTok. Give us a follow on TikTok. That's where all the action is, I'm told. Yeah, you. if you're if you're young or you, you know, seek to, <laughs> if you, or if you seek them young, you'll find us on TikTok, Luke, okay? 
Uh, all right. Um, by the way, uh, Showtime is the label that pays. You can go to Showtime.com, get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. If memory serves, and I believe this is correct, the very next Bellator event should be this weekend. Uh, Bellator 23 at the 3 Arena in Dublin, Ireland. This is the card headlined by Peter Quigley taking on Benson Henderson. By the way, Yoel Romero back in action. Again, a fight I don't really love that much against Melvin Manhoff, but it should be wild for as long as it lasts. Uh, that will be, I believe, on the 23rd is what? Friday? I believe it's a Friday afternoon fight, so that should be kind of fun uh, if you're up for it there. Uh, let's see. You can email the show, morningcombat at gmail.com to reach the show for Wednesday's fan subs, Friday's Dead Wrong. And BC, I'm wearing merch. I got the new polo shirt on. You're wearing merch. You got the sort of new gray, what was that, gray military green? Like It's hard to tell exactly. Oh, you got the real talk like men do shirt on. There you go. Yeah. BC, yeah. tell these good folks where they can get all this good stuff. Uh, we got a website. It's called morningcombat.store. You may have taken part last week in our great Jay Paquette induced 15% off sale. But look, folks, it's high quality merch, and that's the ultimately the difference. You want a bomber jacket? There's only a couple left on Big Ray Dunkelmaker's uh, uh you know, war chest in his in his bedroom over there. Uh he'll be shipping them out directly to you. Come and look around. We got fanny packs, we got different brands and lines, we got factory town MMA gear, we got Luke Steadface. It is really the best merch house going today for the best damn combat sports show. Period. There you have it. Very good. Uh, and then let's see. Oh, want to remind folks, vote for us. World MMA Awards. Voting is still open, but not for much longer. If you've been slacking on that, you can put your phone up to the screen right now. Use the QR code. Or you can just go to worldmmaawards.com slash nominees. You can vote for Morning Combat for best MMA programming. We would appreciate that. If you, I mean, you hook us up here. It's going to be huge for us. Yeah, you're going to get it on the voted. back end. Well, it's you know, it's like, it's like prison, Luke. They'll get you on the back end. We'll, we'll take care of you there. But also, can you vote for A. Braun if you're interested? Aaron yes. Bronstead are up for MMA Journalist of the Year. He's a you know part-time member of this clan. And then last but not least, there's a producer on the show. She works on the Showtime side. She's doing a charity boxing event where she's actually going to box. I think it's like just three two-minute rounds, and the whole thing is everyone raises money for charity if you would like to help out let's put the information here on the screen i believe we have a graphic for her. there it is her name is courtney you can use the qr code right there on the screen if you're listening on the audio platform please try to find this um on the uh the video side here if you can but courtney raising is raising money, money. Go ahead, for cancer victims correct that's right that is my understanding as well and if you'd be i mean 50 cents a dollar uh, oh, oh, I'm told, by the way, it'll be in both the pod and YouTube description, so you can uh, find the link and information down there. But if you'd be so kind, I believe she's fighting on Friday, or Thursday, maybe. This Thursday, I believe, is when she's competing. So uh, help out. Donate to a good yeah. cause. Help the producer, and, and we'd be great, grateful. She'll be going three rounds for a great cause in Boston, right next to Fenway Park. And uh, Court is uh, part of the, the backbone, the fabric of, of this operation from day one. So uh, we've got her back in this in this journey. And uh, if you if you feel so inclined, uh, please support a great cause. Uh, Luke, I, I was shocked when Courtney's like, hey, by the way, guys, I'm going to take a boxing match. But, uh, you know, you know, you know what I responded over text? Factory Town Tough. Okay. Right. I've, I've seen her training footage. I'm actually blown away at how good she's gotten. She, she might give Jake Paul a run for her money. You know what I'm saying? They won't make that wow. fight because there's gender discrimination. All right. But, uh, <laughs> but Julia Rose, she, Courtney's coming for everything that, that, that you took yeah. from her, okay? 
Uh, but no bullshit. It's a great cause. She's working really hard. She makes MK what it is. It wouldn't be the same without her. So help out if you're so inclined. All right. BC, anything else before we get started? Uh, you know, I was going to break down song by song that fantastic concert I saw, but if you'd rather talk MMA, it's it's cool. You know, it's I prefer fun. MMA, yes, if you'd be <laughs> okay cool. with that. Yeah. Maybe I'll have an extra credit later on that, Luke, okay? All right, let's start with the, I think, the biggest, and so, I, I mean, there was big fight news from events over the weekend, but we got hit with this yesterday, and it's a monumental piece of news. According to Kombache, which has now been confirmed in reports on MMA Junkie, MMA Fighting, I think even the UFC kind of acknowledged it was true at this point through social media postings. Jose Aldo has retired. Jose Aldo has retired. Now he, according to Kombache, had one fight left on his deal. The understanding that I have, according to that report, is that he would be allowed if he wanted to do like sport jiu-jitsu or maybe even boxing. But he couldn't obviously go sign with another MMA promoter. That would be out of the question. We will see what happens. BC, your reaction to this news? And more broadly, what is Jose Aldo's legacy in the sport if this is the actual last MMA fight that he has? Uh, First of all, reaction to the news, I am surprised. Knowing the competitor he is, we talked about it last week, I assumed he would be the kind of guy you'd have to remove from the sport because he's always going to get the most of himself in a training camp, in a fight, his move down in weight so late in age to become a legitimate title contender multiple times at Bantamweight here. Uh, I'm surprised. I kind of feel like, you know, he's he's still going to want to go out on his own terms in Brazil one day. But if he never fights again, as you so mentioned earlier uh, last week, it's damn it. Is it the right time? In some ways, he's kind of going out on top. I know he's coming off a loss, but going out late in his career in the deepest division in the sports history that close to a title shot. But what's the legacy of the great king of Hio, Jose Rio? It's just that, that he's royalty in this space. Whether you have him in the top five, you probably could have no him no worse than the top 10 uh, of fighters in this sport's history. I think that what jumps out you first in terms of like the first line of his accomplishments is he was the face of a division for a decade, basically. Became a devastating star in the WEC was moved right into full UFC uh, title championship mode without needing to to win it because of how dominant he was. And then that run of title defenses, he went nearly a full decade without losing. He was always class. He was always about the, the purest elements of this game, respect, hard work. But what's my personal legacy for Jose? It's actually more of what he did when things weren't fully going in his direction. The way mentally that he bounced back from the one-punch knockout loss and all the trash talk against Conor McGregor and the aforementioned reinvention at Bantamweight, here's a guy who just never stopped trying to be great no matter the circumstances. And more often than not, you know, like 80% of the times, it seems like when he intended to go out there and be great, he figured out a way to do exactly just that. I could not have more respect for a fighter who, after those two losses to Max Holloway, I kind of questioned even then, could he be done? Or would we see a market drop-off? He just kept finding ways to siphon whatever greatness was left inside of him. And maybe that's why I fear he really isn't done yet. But regardless of what he wants to do next, I'll be behind him. And I have nothing but the utmost respect as a man, as a competitor, for somebody who, even if his accomplishments may not necessarily put him in your Mount Rushmore or my Mount Rushmore, not only is he close, but he stands for everything that a great champion should in so many ways. Maybe short of that tattoo on his right arm, but that's more of your beef than mine. I love me some Jose Aldo. Yeah, I, I, I share all that analysis. I would add a few different things. 
Now, in the end, who ended up doing great beyond WEC, but was a WEC fighter? For example, Demetrius Johnson fought in WEC, but I don't think he really hit his stride until the flyweight division really started cooking in UFC, and he moved over there, right? Like, even then, he was still fighting Dominic Cruz at Bantamweight as, as, as late as 2011. But if you're talking like WEC runs, who had the best one? Jose Aldo is probably your number one choice. He had eight fights in the WEC, won a title. All of those are by stoppage except for one, which was the Faber fight, which was an absolute shellacking from pillar to post. I don't think Jose Aldo lost a minute of that fight, much less a round. So you're talking about arguably, and I would say almost definitively, the very best WEC fighter of all time. That's the first thing I'd say. Second of all, he came not from that very first generation of Brazilians, the Nogueras, the Babalusa Brawls, the shoot-to-box teams, the Brazilian top teams. He didn't come from that, but he came from the very next generation of them. So I would still put him somewhat in a bit of a pioneer category, certainly a very important component of the growth and development and popularity of Brazilian MMA. I would also say one thing that really really gets lost with Jose is we talk about how good he was and all of his accomplishments. We should talk about how he changed fighting. In other words, we talk about how Habib changed fighting with his focus on grappling, the techniques he used, and how everyone is trying to play catch up with what he did. We talk about George St. Pierre, who never really wrestled in any kind of academic or scholastic program and nevertheless was able to shut people down or use wrestling in a way where he could beat even the Josh Koscheck's Division I national champions of the world. Jose Aldo, to me, doesn't get a lot of credit for developing the game. Now, he didn't really have offensive takedowns in that way. His takedown defense for a guy who never wrestled is arguably the best maybe ever in MMA. It is shocking how good he was. And he showed that you don't have to come from those backgrounds, even in the lighter weight categories, to be able to do that effectively in the way in which he did it and his understanding of it. I had people who covered wrestling professional, or, you know, they're, they're, they're not professional wrestling, but they covered, you know, um, uh, freestyle wrestling and folk style wrestling. And they did that for their jobs. And they were telling me, like, who stands out to you? It'd be like Jose Aldo's takedown defense. It looks like he's been wrestling all his life. Um, Ringcraft, he was, the way he was able to to advance the game in that particular department. A guy who was a brown belt world champion in jiu-jitsu, beat Cobrinha, and then was still nevertheless, nevertheless a devastating Muay Thai fighter and super athletic as well. He, he developed the game. He improved the game by virtue of his participation. And you could very much argue, we're asking about legacy here, BC, and, and this is a matter of debate. There's no ironclad rule about it. It's not written in stone. But I would argue he's probably in the five best fighters of all time. Right, probably in the five best fighters of all time. I would also say, even though he was beaten by Volkanovski and he was beaten by Max, and obviously the loss to Conor McGregor hurt his legacy, I think a lot. His record as a featherweight champion is, to this point, still better than anyone else's record as a featherweight champion, which to me makes him the best featherweight of all time. You're talking about one of the very best guys to ever do it, change the game, improve the game by virtue of his participation, lifted it in his home country to say whatever else he did overall, did it in two different weight classes. And even in this last fight, BC, although it's kind of a shame with his last fight ended up being what it was, even though his last fight was still very competitive in a different division in which he made his name. They will not come around like Jose Aldo very often. An unbelievable career. It comes to an end, at least in MMA, we think. He's one of the very best to ever do it. And maybe, Luke, because he was all those things I mentioned, whereas, like, you know, the King of Heo nickname is perfectly translated, translatative. How about that? Wow. Into, into the whole idea that he's MMA royalty. He's so humble and so dedicated, right? Look at the 
way he turned his body around for this move to 135, that he, you know, he may have sacrificed for himself a more, you know, marketing heavy persona, but that was something that never mattered to him. So it's like, I almost respect him even more. I mean, he could have been a, a front page breakout star if he was a little bit more of a trash talker or, you know, adapted to English earlier, but he always was who he was, which was great. So you watched his journey essentially from start to finish, maybe mirroring the same years of your uh, professional career. Luke, what's his best win, but what's also your favorite in the Jose Aldo story? Ooh. Best um I forgot what I had on my rundown list. I think we went through it there. Um, I think my... F- forgot what my Jose Aldo favorite list is. The one that stands out to me top of the food chain as you ask me now would be the second mendez fight yeah second mendez fight because he got i mean he had more glorious wins the first mendez fight the swanson fight the faber fight the mike thomas brown fight he had more glorious wins but that one where he got pushed a little bit and nevertheless answered the call and then still kind of put it on chad mendez overall in the end he had to do things that Lamas and chan sung jung didn't really make him do and then chad mendez kind of did and he still was able to come out on top in a very difficult fight using all of his various skills, including that takedown defense, including, obviously, his incredible Muay Thai. That would be mine. What about you? You know, we talked to a, a different countdown in the past where this was brought up. Even though it wasn't, like, you know, a major win in his run, the, the body shot knockout to Jeremy Stevens, which was devastating, came at a point where he needed one of those reinventions I talked about after the two Holloway losses, and... The joy he showed in that celebration was so pure that I remember thinking in the moment, I think he doubted himself just as much as we did. So that moment stands out big. I mean, the heart he showed, even in the losses to Holloway, just like the stand and like, I'm going to go out on my shield. And and I mean, that, that embodied his career to me. He didn't always fight like that. We know that. Most often in his prime, he was moving downhill, you know, controlling the terms. But that was what was going to be needed for him to have a chance to win both of those fights against Holloway, and he went there willingly. I, I I love almost more, like I mentioned, the second half of his career because of, you know, the 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 hurdles that he faced in age and defeat, and how he always so deftly got around those and reinvented himself. But you know, you can't look past uh, the first round knockout against Mendez for just pure devastation in terms of like. Is that the best we've ever seen of him? I mean, probably the best we've ever seen of him were those last few fights in the WEC when it just became clear that, like, you know, this is boss at the end of the video game type of dude. He's he's, he's the boogeyman, you know, for this entire, you know, uh, promotion. For, for He just had a killer vibe and instinct to him. But with a career this long, I mean, he faced everybody, right? So you, you can pick and choose. The only regret, Luke, and I still say this, is not getting in some form a McGregor rematch. Not, not didn't have to be immediate, although it obviously could have been, but in some form a chance to run back because it, it ended up being not not for a lack of trying, right? When he got knocked out in 12 seconds against McGregor, he actually landed a big punch simultaneously, but it ended up being obviously a, a low point considering the amount of trash talk he endured, the fact that that fight got delayed because of injury, and then you know you finally have it. I would have liked to have seen him at least get a chance to save face, but. The, the saving of face that he did in the Edgar fight right after that in, in all the other reinventions. Damn, Luke. You said it. If he's in your top five, if he's your number one, he's just that kind of dude that you really can't argue it. You really can't. I mean, do I think he's in that necessarily Silva, GSP, John Jones area of the GOAT talk? To me, he's a step down, but he does have one of those auras 
and resumes and reputations that you can't argue them in if that's your if that's your cup of tea at the end of the day. And a lot of people drank from that cup, Luke, rightfully so. Um, I don't think he was ever tied into PED scandals, correct? No, I don't think so. Uh, he was always I wonder if a he, dynamic athlete. Yeah, I always wondered if he if he uh, smuggled all the drugs in that in that Mark Hominick ball that he created on his forehead so it can get past USADA <laughs> officials. Unless you know, if that conspiracy is not true, God, he's a. Uh, He's what you want. Look, he's what you want your son to grow up to be if he gets into MMA, right? Yeah, I mean, you would want anyone to be a fraction of good as, as, as he was. So, but, but let's talk about the other side of things here. And this is a, a genuine thing to explore for just a moment. How much did the McGregor loss hurt his legacy? You know, losing to Holloway definitely was a, was a torch-passing moment. Losing to Volkanovski took the sails. I heard the wind out of his sails at 145. It was after that when he lost to Volkanovski that he went on to fight Marais at 135. So it ended up being an exit. I do think that people might have a higher opinion of him. Not just like if he had never fought McGregor and had his exact same record all the way through. I think he'd be held in slightly higher regard from yeah. the casual fan base perspective. True or false? True, definitely true. And it's funny that. Right after that, like we didn't really have a ton of goat debates before that. Maybe it's because things like this show being on three days a week have fueled the need to have these discussions, and it certainly goes overboard. But you know, people—if you asked people back then, before the Aldo McGregor fight, twenty fifteen, you know, who's the greatest? I mean, you some would say GSP, some would say Anderson, whatever. But I feel like right after that, McGregor made this huge rise, and you know, Rousey was leaving, and there, there was so much star power around at the time that we did start to say, like, is John Jones in front of our eyes the greatest? And maybe Jose got bumped down because, I mean, it was it was an embarrassing loss, Luke. And it's because of, you know, not because he fought awful, but because of all the trash talk and the buildup and this big moment where I think, you know, the core fans were like, okay, you're going to you're gonna serve this guy. You're going to show this guy that he's just a loudmouth and he's not on your level. I think that's why that's one of the most shocking, if not the most shocking ending in UFC history. But um, it did diminish in that short term in the few years after Maybe it's why I put him in that second five and I get a lot of criticism from the fans. I think it did drop him a stock. But, look, i got to be honest, what he's done since then as we just uh, broke it down, I mean, that has to bump him back up to a certain degree because most guys, when they get to the point of their greatness and how great they're going to be, and then they lose, and let's say it's in devastating fashion, in in four fights he got knocked out cold by McGregor and got stopped by Holloway twice, so... Uh, you know, mo- guys don't come back from that. <laughs> they don't. You know, they come back, they take a couple of fights, they might win or lose some, but nobody comes back from that and constantly rebuilds. We have to add that now retroactively into the total body of how we look at him. And I do think, as a lot of fighters, he'll be one of those fine wine legacies where, you know, five years from now, ten years from now, I think we'll be holding him a lot higher than maybe what that McGregor one fight, one knockout loss did in the short term to to blind some of us, maybe me included into just how great he really was. Yeah, there's probably something to be said for that. And also, you know, Bantamweight, what he did was remarkable, but he never got a finish in Bantamweight. Not like he was fighting chumps or something, but, you know, yeah. obviously his his efforts down there were mixed. He lost, obviously, to Jan pretty badly. He lost, he lost technically to Marais and obviously to Marab. Some of those being lackluster fights. And then Pete, the Jan fight was great, but then he got kind of polished off. And then he had, though he had solid wins, but it wasn't, ex- this was the thing I always said about going to 135 for Jose, it extended his career, and I think it brought the fans back around him because what he did was was admirable. But if you just look at the reality of what it did, like what was his campaign like at 135 
versus what his campaign was like at 145, it didn't materially change anything. He was more or less kind of stuck in the same spot. Not good enough to win a championship, good enough to beat a lot of other guys, pretty commendable place, but it wasn't like a, a, a upgrade for him. It was more or less the same. Still, to be that senior in your career and then that competitive, pretty remarkable. Hard to know yeah, what the, the bigger killers L was. right now? With the Say killers again? that Bantamweight that this era has, for him to have been twice in the title discussion at that age is remarkable. Oh, it's beyond. Yeah, it's it's, it's extremely impressive. Again, I'm just pointing out like yeah. nothing was really hugely different for him in that sense. Uh, bigger L, the McGregor loss or the tattoo he got last week, BC? Hard to oh, really the, know. You know what I'm saying? The McGregor loss. Because I think he could still add. Like, I'm always telling Tristan, our great cameraman, Luke, who will probably kill you in your sleep one day. You know, he's got all of those animals and the and the wolves and you know, he needs connective tissue. He needs a uh he needs a dream catcher to connect them all together. I think if if Joe's egg adds something or you know, around that that can some color, something that can take away the no, how he has to get that it looks. partially lasered and then get tattooed on top of it. That's what he has to do. There's no fixing that. There's no fixing He's too that. proud to do that shit, Luke. All so right. then let me ask you this. Would, okay, what is he? Jose Aldo currently sits at 36 years of age, just turned 36 in September. Uh, would you like <clears> to see him box at all? Is that a thing you care about? I mean, you got to ask yourself who. You know, he's too small for a Jake Paul size guy. I mean, he's also kind of too small for like a to box Nate. I mean, I guess you could do something like that. But the question is like, would it be like, you know, are we looking at a Jose McGregor boxing match when both are 39? I mean, yeah, call me back. Look me up then, Luke. I'll probably be into it for all you know. But, uh, yeah. you know, I'm not against him trying to make money. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like he's going to fight one more time in the UFC, Luke. I, I kind of want to see him fight under the guise of, like, going back home, homecoming send-off. You know what I mean? Like, a chance for him to jump the fence again and run through the crowd like he like he spectacularly did that one time. I mean... I, I kind of really want to see that. Why, why do you think he retired with one fight left on his deal? My, my best read on this, BC, and tell me if you agree or not, is that it, what, like everyone's like, oh, but the UFC is going back to Rio. Well, a couple things. Like Number one, he already fought in Rio a number of times. He fought in Rio against Max. He fought in Rio against Volkanovski, and you can be like, okay, well, he lost those two. He also fought in Rio against Chad. He fought in Rio against Chan Sung Jung. He fought in Rio against Chad Mendes the first time. Like He fought in Rio a like a fair number of times. It wasn't like he had never done it uh, with the UFC, I'm pointing out, obviously. And then the other part is, like, I guess he was like, listen, if I'm not going to be fighting for a title, I don't want to just keep doing this bullshit. Like, yes, right. he could fight somebody else, but what the fuck is the point? Do you share my sentiment? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, his coach, who who has been, a you know, either brother or father to him this whole run, you know, depending on the dynamics of the relationship, I mean, he came out publicly and said that. So, you know, and that happens when a fighter... It, Feels like he's got a couple paydays left, but the team around him or the family is like, come on, you know, enough is enough. You've, you've, you're, you're everything. You've done everything. We don't need any more. You know, I'm sure that played a part because I'm sure he respects those who, who spoke up about that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I respect him more now for doing that. You know what I'm saying? So so I, I think that's ultimately it. I think hey, he probably had to my talk neighbor with... for not starting their lawnmower right outside my window until the show started. I, I really appreciate that from them, you know? Well, Luke, they don't have to know or care about your day-to-day -day schedules. You know what I mean? The, the people can't hear it, Luke. The people that are listening to the show right now, I they know, can't hear it. I can it. hear it, and it's fucking distracting. He's got like a chainsaw out here. I mean, like, you know, what are we doing? All right. Can you well, hear that Well, at least now? somebody in your neighborhood cares about his lawn, Luke. I'm that guy in my neighborhood that doesn't care, not on the Luke Thomas level, but I'm that guy who's like, yeah, whatever, and uh, uh, maybe he's one of them, you know? He does care more about his lawn than me, but that's not saying a whole lot.
So we'll leave that as it is. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with Jose Aldo. An impressive run, uh, as impressive a run as they basically come, uh, certainly in the lower weight divisions. All right. Let's go to topic number two, if we can, BC. Let's get to the fights. First things first, let's talk about Canelo Alvarez. We will get to the UFC in just a second, but we want to start with the biggest fight of the weekend. It was clearly Canelo Alvarez defeating Gennady Golovkin via unanimous decision. Now, the good news in the broader picture, BC, and you would probably agree with this, is that this was the most definitive of the three in either direction. Canelo was clearly better than Gennady Golovkin. However, the fight was not great at all, and... Even with Alvarez winning, it just he that was not an it wasn't a terrible performance from him, but it was hardly his best. So, explain to me in your best way possible why was this fight so lackluster despite Canelo being so clearly better? You know, it was the perfect storm of of a bunch of factors that could have produced a fight that was past its time and and not necessarily necessary. In the end, that's exactly what happened. Now, sometimes it doesn't happen. Marquez Pacquiao 4, the comparison we had coming into this, you know, if we were romanticizing what the perfect ending for this rivalry could be, and that shocked people, right? That was an outlier where it was not only the fourth meeting, which is sometimes the saddest if you get that far. Think Vasquez Marquez with that forgettable fourth meeting. But, you know, customer fatigue, all that. But they were aging enough that they slowed down to be more vulnerable and I think we underestimated the, the hatred and the fire for one another. None of that matriculated into this third meeting, even with the, some of the parallels. Do, should we have had more fears about what Gennady would look like at 40 in hindsight? Of course. I mean, you, you only have to go back five months and watch the Ryota Murata fight in Japan and see him get, get hurt to the body against a non-puncher before rallying and getting the knockout. But not only did we hope that that wouldn't play into this fight... I think we hope that the combination of, like, look, there are levels to how jacked up a fighter will, will commit to training camp. I mean, it's it's different. If you're Gennady even at 40, I think we said to ourselves, look, you're fighting the, the, the career rival, the guy you hate the most. There's so much at stake. He's going to pour out whatever's left. Look, it just turned out that whatever was left was way worse than we expected, which is it wouldn't have been a killer. Like, I, I think... My dissatisfaction is really of the entertainment value, which happens. We didn't get what we could have gotten. And even if Gennady came in old, you say to yourself, okay, well, Canelo's going to take care of him. And if he does it decisively, if not spectacularly, boy, is that a, a flag in the ground to close this rivalry. Well, unfortunately, the other side of it was we didn't get any of that from Canelo. So whether it is 75% of because of the injured left wrist that he's claiming needs surgery or whether we may have to look a little bit closer at this fight in the combination of the Bivol loss to the idea that at 32 after turning pro at 15, Canelo's also aging too and may not be that guy. Either way, Luke, it, it came together for a boring fight, one that I thought was more or less completely one-sided despite Gennady rallying late to at least pick up his output, and a fight that was almost a debacle on the scorecards when all was said and done. So... You know, it's it's a shit sandwich uh, served in a men's room, Luke. I mean, that's what it turned out to be. That's harsh. It wasn't as bad of a fight as I'm saying. But the expectations after the first two were obviously through the roof. There was enough stakes and interest and 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 emotions into this. You know, we should have had a better fight. We didn't. I'm glad the right guy won at least. But anybody in the past 48 hours trying to say that this fight was close? Nope. That the scores were right? Nope. 
that, you know, either guy was impressive in their performance. Nope. It was just one of those times that happens, Luke. They make a big fight. Duran Leonard 3 is a good comparison, and it just sucks the horn. Uh, what were your biggest <laughs> takeaways on how we got here, Luke? So, I, But I have a bunch more questions for you, and I'll use what I'm thinking as a way to pitch to you because you watched it live, and so I watched it after the fact. You can get a different reaction to things when you already see the headlines and then you watch the fight like I did. So let me say this, or let me pitch it to you this way. Canelo at the post-fight presser was asked about David Benavidez, who, by the way, is like in this weight class is a very deserving contender. And I realized former that like, champion, ben, former two-time champion, right? And I, he has the interim title, I think, for WBC at 168, which doesn't mean much, but still, um, you know. But look, if you're looking at like who to fight at this weight class, this is the next guy. He got asked about it, and like Canelo seemed almost offended. I'm not going to ask you, did Canelo phone in this whole thing? He trains too hard, blah blah blah. But I did get the feeling that like, I don't know how to say this exactly, or rather than this. Did you get the feeling that Canelo almost didn't want to be there? Like he was going to do yes. enough to get the win, but after that, he like was not interested in participating in this thing anymore. So remember, I said you know I, I had fears about his motivations coming in, and I interviewed him for four minutes. But in that you know satellite interview where it's you know one after another, I, I was like, okay, you know he's selling to me that that there is real animosity here, that he wants to finish with a knockout and end Golovkin's career. And you know that didn't translate. And and look, the, if the injury is completely real, then it that certainly explains parts of it. I also think he's aging because he did turn pro at 15 and had so many huge fights in his early 20s and fought everybody and fought on a killer schedule. By the way, that eventually will catch up with you. You fight two two years in a row of four fights a year at this level, it's going to catch up with you. But I most importantly, Luke, I, the motivation was not there. It just it, it didn't look like the second half, at, you know, especially in rounds nine through twelve, as Golovkin is finally showing a pulse and is finally coming forward. It didn't look like. Uh, the thing that I think I feared most for Gennady was that Canelo would utilize the emotions at play and would basically say, fuck this guy for talking about steroids about me all that time. I'm going to make him pay. Now, that wasn't there at all. And I think that was disappointing for a guy who, you know, I've been trying to argue is still my pound for pound king. He didn't look like it in this fight. Um, I think the emotions played a big part. And that's why, to some degree, neither man really worked hard to sell this fight marketing wise, which wasn't a surprise because of their personalities. But still... Other man sold it in the ring. I mean, look, as much as like, okay, was there a triple G rally? Well, okay, there was. But rounds one through eight, the guy didn't do a damn thing. So it was, you know, much ado about nothing in the end in that regard. Um, All right. So it, second question, second question, second follow-up here. Canelo looked, well, first of all, triple G, to your point. I mean, I think the other, the other we're, we're making this about Canelo, but let's be very clear about this. Canelo did some decent work rounds one to eight. Decent work. And Triple G just did very little. I mean, he just did very little. He looked so old. But here's my here's the thing that's like nagging me in the back of my head. In a lot of these fights, like for example, the Kovalev fight, he was losing that fight up until he wasn't. Do you think Canelo was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of put in a decent effort, and if the knockout shows up, then great. And if not, by rounds nine, when the when the when Triple G was actually finally starting to do something, he kind of like mentally checked out. In other words. If the Billy Joe Saunders fight had gone the distance, if the Kovalev fight had gone the distance, would we be saying something similar about Canelo that he looked fine, but not as remarkable as he would be, but for chasing the finish in the or finding, I should say, the finish 
in those particular fights. Well, you know, if those fights had gone 12, but the intention was there in the second half, then we would, it would be, you know, you could, you could critically question that, but, and say, okay, did his power carry up to these weight classes? But it's all about intention. The intention wasn't there in the second half of the fight from Canelo. Was that, you know, was, did, was his training camp compromised because of the injury? Was he gassing a bit? Was he old? There's a lot of questions right here. I thought strategically he was very smart in the first half of the fight. And, you know, we can say, Triple G looked like shit and looked like he was about 50 in the first eight rounds. And that wouldn't be, by the way, inaccurate. But it was because the speed difference that was already there four years and five years ago was heavily exasperated now with Triple G fading. And Canelo was smart, got right up behind that high guard so he was close enough. And he countered every jab attempt that Triple G had seemingly with a harder, quicker punch over the top. So Triple G basically was like, my A-game's being taken away. But look, he never got... That fight or flight, you know, flip didn't happen. I mean, at the end of the round five, Jonathan Banks is like, I need you to believe in everything we worked for here, which is a major sign that he's that Triple G's frustrated and has no idea what to do. So, Gennady, I'm happy he found a second wind, but that second wind was there because Canelo wasn't fighting with a killer instinct. He wasn't fighting with a a posture that suggested he was looking to find that that knockout and 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 find that climactic moment here. And that could it have been also Luke a fear of Gennady's punching power, knowing how tough this guy is. Certainly could have been, but I think it all conspired again to a fight that like half the people weren't all that jazz coming in and know what he was on the way out. And um, I, I hold that. Benavidez talk, though, until we get there on what's next for yeah. Canelo, because more on that topic. Okay, so I want to get to that in just a minute, but I guess what I, uh, the thing that was... Okay, so that's a fair response. The other part I was going to ask about this was like, you know, to what extent was it being at 168 made them both, relatively speaking, a little lethargic? I wonder if that played a role. But let's talk about like what's next for Canelo, because here's my thing, BC. If you look at the performance he had against Caleb Plant, we were there for that. Dude, he was hunting Caleb Plant. Like, he yeah. went for it. That's why he got the finish in round 11, because he had his foot on the gas about it. He really wanted it. It just seemed like he didn't want this. So, A, where is Canelo going to go? In other words, does he resign with Eddie Hearn, who he seems to have a great relationship with, but, like, delivered on a fight where he lost and then was ultimately lackluster in the second one? Because if he's not going to fight Benavidez... I don't know what the fuck he's going to do other than the Bivol rematch, which I got to say at this point seems like a bad idea. I don't love that for him at all. Lay lay out the future of Canelo here in all those respects. Yeah, so the Benavides thing is just hovering over this. He's the most deserving in the division, as you mentioned, for the undisputed four-belt champion, which is Canelo. Benavidez, former champion, twice lost it because of his own wrongdoing, but came back and has won it, you know, won big fights and gotten back to it. Canelo's reason, it seems, for not fighting him in terms of not necessarily what he says, but what his actions say is, well, hey, how hard can we criticize this guy when he's going one division higher, which is clearly we found out against Bivol in the last fight, and parts of the Kovalev fight, meaning it took Canelo a long time to kind of really get into that fight, he had to be careful on the outside, was that this is a division that's probably one step too far from him. So should Canelo completely focus, which he said he would after the fight, on getting healthy and then getting back in there to beat Bivol, not only could that open up more fights in that realm at 175, the Joe Smith better be winner. I mean, if, if he gets a chance to fight for all four belts at 175 in a division he probably shouldn't even be in, Luke... It's going to be hard to, like, get on him about this Benavides thing. But I did say one thing when we talked about this probably about six months ago. If we get into 2023 
and early in the year, there's no like immediate plans for Benavidez meeting, meaning let me take care of Bivol first because I'm a competitor and this means a lot to me and I feel like I can beat him. But as long as, the, you know, but hey guys, don't worry. I'm going to be back at 68 to close the year. So start hyping up this big Benavidez fight now, right? Mexico versus Mexican-American, both warriors, pure, this is the fight. You can, you can say from Canelo's post-fight comments about Benavidez that that might not be the best look words-wise right now. Because, again, actions-wise, if he chases, it's, look, it, can you say he's ducking Benavidez when he's going up in weight, Luke, and potentially, if he keeps going there, could end up fighting better beef? Dude, you can't, you really can't rip him that much. But I do want him to handle the topic of Benavidez appropriately. So that soundbite you talked about, I think the reason why it came out extra nasty was Sean Zettel, I think that's how you say his last name, Very, he's on Sean Porter's podcast, uh, a journalist out of Las Vegas. He was the one that asked it, but he asked it under the guise is that, of... Is that the skinny white guy that's on the program? Yes. Yeah, he he's asked pretty knowledgeable. It, I like that guy a lot, by the way. He's a real nice guy. He asked it under the guise of, like, you've said in the past you won't fight Mexicans, so, you know, like, Benavidez is Mexican-American, so will you fight him? And Canelo took issue because he's trying to say, look, you can write whatever headlines you want. I said I won't fight against Mexico, meaning the nation because that's who I am and where I'm from. But in terms of actual opponents, I don't give a fuck. I'll fight Benavidez. Like, I don't care about him. And then Canelo went on to essentially rip Benavidez's resume. He's clearly upset that Benavidez's father and trainer is trashing him in the media left and right. And he basically said, look, you fought, you know, Anthony Durrell, one champion. Like, shut the fuck up. So, Luke, here's the deal. Unless I start hearing Canelo saying... Like, yes, I will fight that guy. Let me just finish this off first. I'm not going to lie. The optics are starting to not look good. Even though 175 is bigger fish to fry, Benavides just happens to be that boogeyman guy that everybody has said from the beginning, either Canelo won't fight him or when he finally does, he's going to find real trouble because that guy's got everything that the other people are missing, right? Size, backbone, all that stuff. Skill, intention, everything. If you want to start to say this is the beginning of a duck move, you can certainly find fuel there. I'm going to still hold Canelo right now to the benefit of the doubt and in, in the idea that like the Bivol fight is not easy. We just saw him lose it. Is this a bad idea? Well, sometimes competitors, Luke, have to find that out. They go back to the well for, for a rematch and get humbled again. I'm not going to be mad at him. What's your breaking point? At what point are you going to say, personally, as a boxing fan, that like, all right, Canelo, let's take a pair of business now with this dude? Benavides. Well, I mean, it's, like our- it's, it's it's fairly simple to understand. I mean, I think you're right, right? You can give Canelo a th- more breathing room than you would another unified champ by virtue of what else he is attempting. I fight in the Bivol, the Bivol one, like you can admire the courage. It's not like he's fighting some chump. Again, he's fighting a guy who beat him. Like there's something to be said for that. But it all comes back down to the architecture of boxing, BC. Here's where I'm at. My guy, Canelo, <laughs> you have all the belts at 168. You can't have all the belts at 168 and then say, I'm not going to fight number one contenders. I, I, yeah, do you have to fight David Benavidez next? No, right? I think that's fair. You don't have to fight him next. I don't think, I, okay. I, I don't know when exactly you have to fight him. But at some point, if you're going to have those titles, and those yes. titles are not his only claim to fame, but his current part of what makes his status what it is, right? The first guy to ever unify at super middleweight. 
at some point, dude, you got to defend them against the most deserving people if you want to retain them. I suppose he could give them up and go do other things. But you see, that is also his right. He doesn't have to. But you can't right. keep them and then not defend them. David right. Benavidez, now maybe, here's the thing. Now maybe Canelo will change his tune if they are able to make, which by the way, there's some beef between them, a David Benavidez and Caleb Plant fight. You there is it. something to be said for that. Now maybe that changes the game. But at some point, BC, you have the belts, you have a responsibility to defend them. Because the hole in Canelo's argument is, you're saying Benavidez hasn't beaten big names or accomplished much, yet how can he win a title if you're holding them all? It's true. But I do think the flip side of that is all of these guys need to fight each other who haven't. And I think that's a fair thing to say. Canelo is the undisputed champion, so he's already proven dominance over this division. If Benavides, by the way, hadn't lost his belt twice, one for drugs, one for missing weight, um, Canelo would have already fought him to become undisputed champion in theory, right? So that so the working theory is, okay, Benavides, how about you go out there and just take care of the business of the other contenders, meaning Caleb Plant, former champion who you guys have had that beef. I think if Benavides does that, you know, his next big fight, then there'd be no argument. And if Canelo didn't re respond after that by s setting up the groundwork for a fight, then it's it's full on duck. And I don't think Canelo actually fears him. I think Canelo's just pissed off that his dad's running his mouth. I do think Canelo recognized it's going to be a very tough challenge. I, j I just want to be careful that we don't wait too long because, you know, I watched Canelo wait out Triple G for a year and a half to two years so that he was, you know, 36 by the time they fought. So, you know, I saw him wait four more years for this fight, although I don't think he was waiting Triple G out this time. I think he just didn't care about the fight or want it. But DAZN, the fans, boxing kind of made it happen again. No, 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 you know, no, no foul there. Um, and, and also, BC, hold on. I understand Canelo's point a little bit when he's like, Look at the status. He didn't say this exactly, but this is basically his argument. Look at the status I have achieved by all my accomplishments. Look at the status that David Benavidez has achieved by virtue of his accomplishments. There's a massive gap there. So for me to award this guy a fight, he has much more to gain than I do. I, I, that's a, that, I understand that. That's utterly yeah. reasonable. But if, if you don't want to fight him, you can't just have the titles. They're not yours to keep in perpetuity. They sure. are a, they, there's an architecture in place by which they have to be maintained. If you want to be part of that, then you've got to honor it or just drop the belt and then do what you want. Either way, I won't judge, but I just can't stand someone sitting on the title and then not defending it. And of course, you know, eventually this the is sanctions advisor get involved. Why we got so outraged when the WBC started this bullshit super champion status, which right. basically was set up for Canelo, knowing he's a massive star, knowing he jumps around in divisions. It's basically saying, we love you so much. You bring us so much money and attention. We don't even care if you campaign in this division. You'll always be our champion. I mean, you know, it doesn't, mandatories aren't affected by it. It's just absolute trash. But um, the reason why I'm, I'm being so critical about this to close on this is because Canelo has won our respect over so huge over the things he's done the past couple of years and the way he's carried himself that I, I want to talk about him like he's a badass because he is, you know, I want to argue for his pound for pound ship because whether, whether it's the fans or his commitment to his legacy, like he always deliver or, or making big fights. He always seems to deliver, but he's not getting any younger. So if I don't hear him start recognizing that this is, there's a fight out there that the fans think you need to take, then I, you know, I'm going to turn, and I don't want to. So you know what I mean. I want to have that same respect for him. So, but it is a business, and going to 175 and fighting for titles is not easy. Luke, if he beats, let's say he outboxes Bivol in the rematch, or or whatever. Let's say he wins it. 
There's, you know, I mean, could could you deny him the chance at going up to fight Better Be for all four belts? I mean, that that that's a crazy ass tough fight. It would be amazing. Well, last question on this, then I promise before our audience has a mutiny, we will get to the UFC stuff. In terms of Triple G, dude, he looked in the Murata fight. He looked old, but then had a much better rally, and he had a bit of a rally here, but it was way too little, way too late. He indicated he wanted to keep boxing. I'm sure he could still beat some guys, but I got to tell you, man, that was not an inspiring performance. That was the first time I was like, wow, he looks old. What do you think will or should be next for Triple G? I think he should retire, but, you know, he gave that speech. It was like almost like a one-liner he threw out there of like, you know, I know, you know, he did the whole bit, but the whole speech was like, I'm still the unified champion in this other division where I've only lost once and that's to this guy or this, you know, all time great right here. So I I just think he, he, in his mind, for whatever reason, whether it's the competitor in him or whether he realizes, even if I go out there and lose two more times in super big fights, the paydays will be big. You know, I mean, he made 20, what do you make 20 million for this? He's made, he finally at the end of his career started making big time money. Um, I don't, could he go in there against these, the remaining middleweight studs he hasn't faced. Guys like Jamal Charlo, right? Guys potentially like Demetrius Andrade, although he moved up to 168. And can he have the type of fights where, yeah, he's going to be slower and he's going to have to take on big damage, but, you know, he lingers and fights and, and could he get a knockout? Yeah, he could. He could have that repeat against Murata in theory, but Murata's also not a puncher. And some of these guys, you know, I mean, if he gets a, the best version of Jamal Charlo, that version could kick his ass, Luke. So right. badly. You know, I... And, it, and I think that's why these scores being closer than they should have been, you know, eight rounds to four, seven rounds to five twice, which is was not the fight we saw, even with Canelo taking his foot off the gas, even with this comeback, which was Triple G actually just sticking to the game plan because now he wasn't getting countered as clean anymore, and he just kind of went for it. Okay, he didn't brawl, but he kind of went for it. Even with that as being fool's gold to him, he has to know, Luke, that there's there's not a ton left. I, I hope he knows that. I hope this is more financial thinking, you know, you know, maybe I can beat these guys like a Charlo, but it's a big fight. I'll make a lot of money on the way out. I'm I'm thinking he's trying to be strategic here, Luke, but you know, he can't look at this and go, okay, that's Canelo and I rallied and almost won. No, you didn't. You didn't. You didn't you didn't rally. And I know a lot of people are coming back at me, BC, you're you listen too hard to the Dizone team. They were only focused on Canelo. They were kind of only focused on Canelo. I agree with you with that. But that didn't manipulate my score. I you know, I saw what I saw. Luke, what did you see? What was your score loosely, roughly watching that? I Ten gave, rounds to two? Yeah, I gave I gave generously, I gave Triple G three. Three three okay. rounds. Um, but that, you know, two I think you've got two clear rounds, and I was sort of being generous about one of them. Uh that's it. I mean, it was a clear to me. Canelo won that one easily, easily, but not a fun fight. Um, all right. With that in mind, BC, let's talk a little UFC if we can here. All right. Topic number three. So the biggest fight of the weekend, of course, was Triple G Canelo three, but that was on the boxing side. On the MMA side, the UFC held a show back at the apex in the bantamweight division was the main event. Corey Sandhagen getting back in the win column finally. With a win over Song Yudong. Now, it was stopped, I think, just before the fifth round due to a massive cut over the left eye slash eyebrow area of Song Yudong. BC, I have a few takeaways myself, but let's start with you. Your biggest takeaway from Corey Sandhagen getting this victory is what? Uh, not to panic. That's what. He's still of this ilk. He went back to the, to the, uh, the lab, retooled a bit. 
this fight was never going to be easy, right? Our, I think collectively our prediction was basically it's going to be a real fight. He's going to have to go through some heck, but we think experience-wise, we think what's still left in him can get him not only to a victory, maybe even a stoppage. Now, I know the stoppage was a different kind because of the blood, but, you know, he still opened that cut. He's still the reason for the stu- for that cut that, that brought him here. Look, I saw a reformed mentally, physically, emotionally fighter who is ready to get himself back into a title fight, and I think we will see him there again. This was the type of test he needed to pass in the way he did, and I'm not going to look at, you know, the, just because that the some of the, two of the three judges had a 2-2 going into the fifth that 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 says anything bad about where he was here, Luke. I liked a lot of what he did out there on Saturday, but the people want to know, Luke, what the hell do you think? I thought this was a very important performance for Corey Sanhagen. I liked a lot of what I saw. I want to be very clear. I mostly have very positive feelings. And I understand what he said after the fight, meaning like, hey, I want to fight a guy who's ranked you know, more highly, even above me. Because in this fight, I think he was ranked fourth, and Song Yudong was much lower. I forget what the rankings were. I, actually, I can pull them up here uh, very quickly. I think he was somewhere um, in like the ten region. So at bantamweight, yeah, Song Yudong was ten, and you had uh, Corey Sanhagen at four. So that will change at some point, I suppose, today in one way or the other. So I understand that. All, all understandable. The good, the very good thing that I saw was there was a lot of really important parts of the things that were weak in his game that he cleaned up. Number one, he didn't get hit nearly as much. Song Yudong still landed some big shots. Corey Sanhagen has a tremendous chin, but you saw him blocking a lot more. That was the first part that I noticed, right? Yudong would make contact, but he wasn't able to meaningfully break through with his tremendous athleticism and his tremendous power very often. Like that. Number two, the takedowns from uh, Corey Sanhagen. Most of them were stuffed, but uh, you saw the commentary team talk about it early in the fight, about how it was you know, creating problems for uh, anticipating the offense from Sanhagen, and I thought that was real. And then, by the way, in that fourth round, he not only gets the takedown against the fence, he's able to move and advance position yes. on top, and that, to me, was big. I was like, wow, okay, really love this. I thought that at times when he was taken down, you saw him scoot back to the cage to get back up. Now, there were still some times he was giving up his back a little bit. Maybe that was coordinated because he thought that, you know, Song Yudong is not necessarily going to be the guy who can take advantage of those positions. Fair enough. That is utterly reasonable. Didn't love that he was giving up his back or showing his back. That could cause him, like, again, I do that against Aljamain Sterling, and it's over for you. But... In this case, it was not cataclysmic. So I like that. Even though he brought in Ryan Hall, who's obviously a tremendous you know, grappling instructor, fighter, trainer, whatever himself, you, you didn't see him. One of the big problems from Corey Sanhagen previously, he would roll for underneath for you know, knee bars and leg locks that would get stuffed. Or you know, even if he was able to hurt TJ Dillashaw, it just didn't really meaningfully put him in winning positions over the course of the fight. He was abandoning those in large part, which I thought was great. And by the way, Ryan Hall, just because he's good at leg locks doesn't mean he's going to advise them in all scenarios. He probably was like, hey, we'll go for them in these scenarios, and if they don't present themselves, let's do the other parts. So there was a lot to like from all of that. The only thing I would say is the Cheeto verified to me is the one that makes sense. I think that one of the things that got Sanhagen in trouble in that losing chapter that he just you know put behind him a little bit was that he was really eager to move to the top. He was number one contender fight against Aljamain Sterling. Let's get back against Jan. Let's let's go fight TJ Dillashaw. And it showed that his game was still in development. What I would say to you, BC, is for all the things that I love that he cleaned up, and there was a lot, 
that process to me is not over. That yes. cleanup process is still in motion. What I would say is I don't wish for him to rush back. Like if he fights Cheeto and wins, you know, and it's a quick fight, which is unlikely because Cheeto is durable as, you know, old shoe leather. I still would want to see him fight yet another one before jumping back into the title. That reformation okay. of his game still is in process. Wow, that was the perfect uh, example of our show. You know, I, I got a little too excited. You reined me back in, but I think you're right in the points that you caution. Like, the thing I've never loved about his game is almost like that, like you go to a restaurant, you know, it's like a kitchen. Uh, what's that What's that Gordon Ramsay show where he tears up the restaurant, Luke, and yells uh, at everybody? Oh, it's probably every show uh, he's on. It's not Kitchen it, um, Nightmares, maybe? Kitchen I don't Nightmares know. or your yeah. Fuck You Kitchen or whatever it's called. Hey, fuck You Kitchen. There you go. Um, you know, inevitably, the, the answer outside of get rid of all the expired stuff from your freezer, the answer is typically your menu has 400 items on it. Like, get that down to about seven and make them really well, right? I think sometimes I see a Corey Sandhagen who has too many options, is too smart for his own good, and is always trying to flow and react. And sometimes, Luke... He's, you know, waiting too long to react. The decisiveness of the decision-making, I thought, was a key part of this, where even though there was a lot of movement and switching stances, I, I felt like he was in better control of what he wanted to do. Love the offensive wrestling. No, it wasn't perfect. But at least he's back in the right direction. So, so I, I still think he can get back into another title fight, and it showed us that because largely he looked at Song Yudong, who is still impressive and dangerous and explosive, and he saw that, you know, Yudong is still far from a finished product. He's still too one-dimensional as an aggressive striker. I think he'll get there and get a lot better. But for right now, I think Sanhagen really leaned on that experience edge, and, and it took him to where he needed to be, which was either ahead like he was on my card or going into the fifth fight round even with a chance to win it. But, um, you know, that didn't matter, Luke, because he was vicious with 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 that switch to the lead elbow very often. It was almost like he was using it like a jab every time Yudong was getting in close. And uh, this was this was a good version of Sanhagen, Luke. This was a very no, good he, one. He looked sharp. And again, I thought that like it clearly showed that they game-planned well. They knew what they were up against with this opponent, and they had a lot of really smart... And again, not because Sanhagen, to your point, he just kind of flows and goes. To me, they dial that back. Let's take what you're good at. Let's take what you're good at, what matters against this opponent, and let's stick to that, which I thought was absolutely the right call. Again, he cleaned up so much. I see people being like, oh, Sandhagen should go to 145, and I don't understand that at all. When you look at this fight between Sandhagen and Yudong, what you really begin to realize is that, and something I, I say every Friday when we do picks, BC, skills win fights. Skills win fights. When you really get to the top, skills win fights. Look at this scenario. Like Song Yudong is much more powerful than Corey Sanhagen. He's much, you know, more athletic. I would argue, at least in terms of like the physical force that he can generate, his explosivity, his speed. He's much more of a dyna dynamic athlete than Sanhagen in that regard. And Sanhagen, you heard Dean Thomas. The punches and the kicks couldn't quite get Song Yudong off of him, but it was the overall other choices and skills that he has that he could go to that ended up making the difference. If you've got not like power problems per se at 135, but you know, your power is not like super remarkable. What do you think is going to happen when you go to 45? It's not going to be any better. Yeah. I realize he's got a long frame in that way, but to me, he is highly skilled. He is obviously a very good athlete in his own regard. He has no cardio issues at all. He's very durable. And if he keeps cleaning up these deficiencies 
And I think simplify, not not like make it stupid, but simplify his game a little bit. Um, I think he could be champion in this I mean, Luke, class. Is there room for more offensive wrestling in this game? I want to say yes, but you're also asking him to be, you know, elite at every single skill across the board. But I think even if he firmly established the threat of a takedown better, it would only open up even more lanes for his creative striking. See, I'm glad you brought that up. I was blown away at how good his offensive wrestling was here. And I know that the stats will show that Song Yudong stuffed the vast majority of them. But the fact that he overtook him late and then kept him down for a while to me was big because that's a much stronger guy you're going against. So I really appreciated that. But to me, the big question is not that. That's an interesting, fun, and very important wrinkle that he added to his game. But to me, it's going to be the defensive wrestling that he has to show. Uh breaking contact like tj dillashaw was able to just hold him against the cage defensive wrestling breaking contact the and scrambling those are going to be the three big things that i'm looking for because again even in this case again it could have been a very calculated move that they knew he was not so much going to be a a, a threat from the back that they were able to create or he, just to give him back exposure and then not really worry about the consequences but against other guys in this division yan and sterling and Dillashaw, you absolutely cannot do that. You cannot do that. So, to me, this is what I'm talking about, about rebuilding some of the other parts of his game that have been a little bit not not ideally suited. I want to see how his scrambling improves, which, by the way, it was better here. His defensive wrestling, I guess we didn't see a whole lot of it here to get a better, clear sense, but also breaking contact. Not guys who necessarily want to take him down, but guys who want to stifle him. That's what he did to Song Yudong. Those early, those early takedowns, what is he trying to do? He's just trying to put blood in the arms of Song Yudong. He's just trying to wear him down, get him, get the arms heavy, and so that when you have to strike with this guy, it's a little bit easier to do later on. Fair enough. What's going to happen when someone does that to him for extended periods? He needs to be able to... This is the other part, too. He has to be able to physically be more of a presence in these fights. Not so much against this guy, who is really, really, really powerful, but against yeah. other guys like TJ Dillashaw, a little bit more powerful, a little bit more dynamic of a physical force. He's got all the skills. He's smart as shit. He knows what he's doing. But let's bring some of those other forces to bear. A 10-second divergence here. You know, I often like to fantasize about the idea of, can that guy dunk a basketball? The Sandman, five foot eleven, good athlete, lanky Luke. Does he put the ball above the rim? Ooh. So I definitely think he could touch the rim. I think he can touch the rim. I mean, I can touch the rim, the bottom of the rim. I could barely yeah, but touch six the bottom. Two. You're, you're six, six, six two one and six a half, three. to be fair, Luke. But people are surprised at how cocksure I am when I stand up when they meet me the first time, Luke. Yes, right? that is true. I get that a lot too, but you get it as, as well. People are surprised that we're uh, uh, well above the six foot club. Well, I was going to mention here, Luke, that it was great to see the just bleed guy who once did time in prison get a job as the ringside doctor for this card because that guy loves people <laughs> fighting with you know, cuts the size of the Grand Canyon there. I do want to say this, that even though I think Song Yudong hit an early sort of ceiling at where his game is at against the elite, is that unfair because two of the three judges had it 2-2 going to the fifth? Probably, but I think even with the scoring that close, I like Sanhagen's work overall better. I think this was the, the perfect test in the end for Song because, no, he didn't win. There is something to be said about the scores and the timing of the stoppage. And Luke, with a really bad cut that affected his vision, he was a he was an effective warrior. I mean, I know once he got in his back, 
that was going to bring an end to it, rightfully so. And yes, I wanted I wanted the cage side doctor to stop this a few times as I did a couple of these fights because it was getting gnarly in there. I was really impressed by his intangibles that really lead me to believe that the more Song Yudong takes on tough fights and continues to work at it, this dude's going to be something big, Luke. I, I still feel that. Were you were you were you feeling anything? I, I tend to feel more than you, Luke. I tend well, to I think, emote. Twenty four years old. I mean, he's twenty four yeah. years old. Dude, he's going to be very good. He's going to be a great fighter, yes. Luke. Yes, he needs to avoid damage. And again, there's to me, it's like athletically, Song Yudong has he's he's good to go. Like he's more than ready to to uh, he has everything he needs in, in in that particular category. The question is, does he have enough of the skills that uh, he needs to you know really batter the guys in the top five? Not yet, not yet. But to your point, twenty four years old, trains with a good team. I just feel like he needs to manage this next stage of his career. Okay, you've tasted what it's like to fight the top five guys and you found yourself wanting. But there were some positives for him as well. What? How do we balance out this equation to make it a little bit more of a winning formula? And I think that he has plenty of time to get there, but not taking a shitload of damage. He has to really, not just like lacerations. I mean, don't get hit, don't get beat up, don't accumulate this wear and tear if you don't have to. And he'll really be on his way. He's got a bright future as well. It just wasn't his day on Saturday. Corey Sanhagen is just much, much, much more skilled. And I know it sounds, BC, like I'm beating up on Corey a little bit. Or maybe it does. I'm not sure. But I just want to be clear. I What he's good at is championship good. Yeah. What he's good at is that fucking good. So the reason why I'm kind of harping on him is because I love that portion of his game. I want to make sure that the deficiencies, which every fighter has, don't hold him back from what I think his to you, you'll bring it up all the time, his UBL, his upper bound limit. His upper yep. bound limit to me is championship level. I don't want to see the other parts of his game drag him down if that can all be avoided. That's all. Now, let's stick with him a little bit, but talk about the bantamweight division a little bit more broadly, BC. We talked about it before. It seems like, and he called him out, and you can understand it. I want to talk about it first, but then I want to talk about the rest of that division. Is the next logical fight for you and for the UFC, is it going to be Sandhagen versus Chito Vera. And if so, walk me through what that fight looks like to you. Yes. Yes. First of all, it's a great fight. Top, this Ma- is topic Ma- number four, by the way. We, they, they didn't put it on the they didn't show it there, but this is topic four. Seriously among the list of, of the fights there you can make in the division and even abroad that would get me very excited because of the contrast and styles and temperament and everything here. Um, I think this is the level that Corey deserves after such a tough win, and he called for it, and and, uh, Cheeto was in attendance, and seems like, yeah, motherfucker, let's do it. So what is it going to look like? That's going to be the key because, Luke, Sanhagen needs to... You know, we're talking about the the spark seemed like it was back here, meaning the quick quick adjustments, the quick decision-making. Certainly, opponents are different. Song Yudong is still a little bit more about force than than strategy at this point. It will be different against other guys, but he's going to have to make quick decisions against Cheeto because Cheeto Cheeto comes at you with with very devastating hidden strikes. Um, I, I want I do need Sanhagen to be the aggressor though. I need him to set the tone offensively here, Luke. I need him to be on his toes. You got to be daring, but you got to be constantly moving. Um, I'd be very interested to see what what the what it looks like until because Cheeto can be a late starter once he sort of settles in, reads you, and then sees the openings where he can land damage. I think Corey's got to try to extend that as long as he can. Try to make you know, obviously, try to make it as hard as possible for Cheeto to figure him out. He has that right game for it, but you know, you can also be too too dynamic and too you know too much variety. Uh, temperament will be key, Luke. Because I do, you do need him to take chances in this fight. 
to, to win if he's going to win. He's going to have to hurt Cheeto before he gets hurt, essentially, is what I'm really trying to say. Yeah, but good luck. Um, good luck is the best way to say that. I've Absolutely. Yeah, see, this is the part to me which is an interesting fight. Corey has, I think, is is more well-rounded probably, right? I think he's, he's certainly in the striking department. He has more tools that he goes to more regularly. Chino Vera is a fucking deceptively tough customer. I mean, everyone gives him his props, but let's talk about it for a second. He is durable as shit, and he is better in the fifth round by a mile than the first. And go back to what Dean Thomas said. Now, Chito Vera and Song Yadong are different fighters, but the thing he goes back to is that like, he couldn't get Song Yadong off of him by virtue of the power of his strikes. Now, the, 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 the elbows disciplined him, for sure, but the punches and the kicks didn't necessarily do that. If you have trouble keeping Chito Vera, again, he's not going to walk you down the same way, but if you have trouble like really landing on him and really hurting him and deterring him, that guy is going to be a fucking nightmare in the fourth and fifth rounds. Just no doubt about it. And by the way, if Sanhagen and Chito Vera fight, that's got to be a five-round fight. It got to be a five-round fight. You cannot do that in three rounds. That would be an absolute travesty to have that a three-round contest. So this is what I mean. This is, what I re- this is the part I really liked about Sanhagen. He simplified some of his game, but then added some other dimensions, particularly in this case, the offensive wrestling, or at a bare minimum, the threat of offensive wrestling. I think he's going to have to do that. If skills win fights, he's going to have to show more in the totality of the MMA game to keep Chito Vera off balance, out of his rhythm, off of him, turning, right, just a step behind everything that he's doing. That can only be done, I think, very effectively, or at least I think fairly to Chito. We can only get a real answer to that question, as a better way to put it, perhaps, in a five-round contest than a three. Now, yeah. If you wanted to add something, I want to talk about the um, the rank. No, yeah, I wanted to to add that um, it, it's it, we're taught we're, the things that we're asking of of Sanhagen potentially in this fight with with this type of game plan. Thinking about it is you know we want him to the throw the takedown established. That we want him to have a high motor. He we already know he has great stamina, but are we really asking him to weaponize it at the end of the day, Luke? Is that the best way to offset? So we need him to add in more things that they said rightly on the broadcast about. You know, he's got to be able to hurt the opponent to keep him off from, no question. But when the power isn't working, I think the best way to to, to get around that is activity and, and constant pressure. Do you need him to weaponize his cardio more, Luke? You talking about Cheeto or Corey? Corey. I think his activity is not the issue. In fact, in, in fact, it might, well... It's the opposite. It kind of is the issue. Here's here's just the reality. Well, I'm saying how he uses the pressure. He uses the pressure to always be in a great spot to land a creative strike, but I almost need him to use the pressure as a weapon, and that's where mixing in takedowns is going to be a big part of that. Yes, that I agree with. Yes, 100%. I think that's right. I think that, um, you know, and I think he would say, like, in sparring, I hurt and drop guys. Fair enough. But the guys that you face in sparring, that ain't Chito Vera, bro. Like, Chito Vera went the distance with John Lineker and I think even won the last round. You know, this guy's ability to stand up to power and to body strikes is next fucking level. He is not just having a good chin. He is just undeterred by pain. Like, he doesn't doesn't make, uh, you know, fatigue and pain make people make accommodated decisions. Oh, I'm not going to put out as much effort. I'm going to lean over because my ribs hurt or whatever. They don't do that to Cheeto. He doesn't make any accommodations. He has good cardio. He's well-trained. And his ability to endure suffering without it affecting... That, that's what I always go back to. We talk about it with Noguera. 
oh, uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't like getting punched in the face, people would say about Brock Lesnar. And then someone would respond, well, nobody does. Right. But here's the difference. Noguera doesn't lose, or in his prime anyway, didn't lose composure. He would hit him and he would just still be the same guy. Chito Vera is that. He does not lose composure over time due to pain and suffering and fatigue. It doesn't affect him in the same kind of way. He is a fucking cyborg uh, as, as, as a result. And so, these uh, you, on the one hand, I think Corey needs to simplify his striking. On the other hand, these other portions of the game, bringing them up to the level of his striking, that is going to be critical. You really got to gotta, off-balance Cheeto. You got to make him second-guess because if he's in a rhythm and he's marching on you, not a lot of bantamweights are going to be able to stand to that pressure, yeah. well, especially he's in a five-round contest. He's also a cobra where he just he can go from zero to devastating strike in very you know very quick ways. He's deceptive, like you said, in that way and, and powerful as shit. That is a great fight. I, in fact, let's not create any other scenarios, Luke. Let's just make it. Okay. okay, so let me talk about the rest of the division. You can here text very Sean quickly. and Mick that, please. That'd be great. Yes, yeah, I'll let you. I'll let him know. So let's talk about the rest of this division here a little bit. The next pay per view is not until next month, but here on that one you have uh, Sean O'Malley taking on uh, Piotr Jan. Now Jan is widely expected to win that, but MMA is crazy, and Sean O'Malley has, by the way, the highest. Whoa! Hold Whoa. on! Hold on! Hold Whoa. on! What? Why he's widely expected to win that? I, you don't know. You don't. That's presumptive from your is, pretentious is it, let's ass. Let's look at the odds. You'll see what the odds makers have to say about Bella. Wildly expected, like. Really? Well, I, said, I think I said there's a... widely, 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 widely. Yeah, I'm offended by both, Luke. She's just big boned. What? Sorry, sorry, Luke. Are you, sorry, you Luke. saying stupid shit? <laughs> thought you were coming with me down that hallway. Apparently, I'm alone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you ever had a college Luke... party, Luke, and you accidentally stumble into the powder room, and you're like, ah, oh, sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for some reason, I don't see these odds on best fight odds. Let me pull up the odds. Let's see, uh, UFC 280 odds. I want to see what the odds makers have to say. I don't think I'm crazy on that, but I could be. All right, here we go. Uh, let's see, UFC 280. Most places have Jan as a substantial favorite. Our friends over at Caesars, I don't see here, but DraftKings, for whatever that is worth, has him at a minus 380 Jan. That's the biggest favorite on the card except for Muhammad Mokayev okay. over Malcolm Gordon. While I'm not going to act like that's that line doesn't say something, it certainly does. It speaks to to what we haven't seen from O'Malley, but I don't I don't agree with you that widely people, despite those odds, that people are entering this thinking, oh yeah, Jan's got this. I mean, I've heard that there there's a you know O'Malley's a polarizing individual. Jan has more experience and might be just more devastating in in certain categories, of course. But, dude, o- O'Malley's got a chance to, to raise that game right along up with him when you take on better competition, Luke. That happens. Cer- okay? Certainly certainly in the case, and I can't remember. I don't believe it's a five-round fight. I believe it's three rounds, so that might change the equation. I could be wrong. I have to double-check that. You can dead wrong me if I am. But, like, you know, we all know Jan starts slowly and whatnot. But, dude, like, the two times that Sean O'Malley has really leveled up in competition, we didn't get a great answer. There's the Chito Vera fight, which he <clears> lost, <throat> and then the Munoz fight, which Munoz kind of seemed to have an answer for him before the eye poke. So, um, and it, it, you know, it was inconclusive, I think is the best way to put it. But it was hardly some kind of like, oh, here he was just styling on Pedro Munoz. Um, but the point being is, if what's better for the Sanhagen Cheeto winner? Is it for Sean O'Malley to upset the apple cart or for Jan to stay where he is in that place? Probably O'Malley because, look, Jan, until he gets until there's proof that Jan's old and he's still in his prime, he's not there. 
Dude, he's just so damn not only well-rounded, but so devastating in the cat in so many categories that uh, you don't want to see that mf'er at the end. You know, you want if if it ends up if O'Malley ends up beating him, which I'm, which I'm just at least was trying to make the point that like we just don't know, we just don't know. Um, you know, he's a little bit more potentially vulnerable than than that rock, Luke. You know. Okay, it, I so think they, if, I think if if Sean O'Malley beats Jan. So the number 13 contender beats number one. What does that do for TJ Dillashaw? Because at two and three, you have Dillashaw and Marab. So here's my thought. If Sean O'Malley beats Jan, it kind of is going to force Dillashaw to fight Marab. Because I think if you beat Jan, you might just get the next title shot. Especially is if you it like Dillashaw fighting him. for the title, Luke? What, are, you just, it, are you assuming that he loses? So what am I saying? Yes, no, there's Marab there. Dillashaw is fighting Sterling at 280. Forgive me. So that leaves just Marab there. Should the winner of Sanhagen Vera fight Marab next no matter what? Or is there a case for the winner of Sanhagen Vera to get the title shot over the winner of Jan versus question. O'Malley? Apologies for the uh, error on the, no problem. Uh, I, th I think it's going to come down to the scenario that is becoming a regular thing in the UFC, and I like it, where it's like, okay... You know our top five or six rankings. You know we got three fights involving fighters in here. Let's just look at whoever does the best. Because if Piotr Jan handles O'Malley in the way that you seem to potentially think, and certainly the oddsmakers have have you know set that at, do you really need him to pass any other hurdles but to get back directly to the title you know picture in place? Um, the idea of the winner of the Cheeto. I mean, it's not like I'm asking Cheeto though. Let's say Cheeto beats Corey Sandigan. Do you want him to, you know, clear another hurdle after that? I, look, it, it, that's why I think the original thing I said is true. Whoever looks to be that combination of the best win, the most spectacular win, and who can cash us in at the box office, because Luke, let's not forget about the what if O'Malley does O'Malley things to Jan. Nobody's getting the title shot but him next. You know, so you get my point here. Yeah, whoever I, whoever grabs the, the the brass ring with their performance, you know? Yeah, fair enough. I tend to think I just feel like if if Jan is upset, he's gonna leap uh by, by O'Malley. O'Malley's gonna leapfrog everybody. And so that leaves in that space what exactly you do with the remaining talent. And so it actually I, I feel like if Sanhagen beats Vera, <clears throat> it works out a little bit in Sanhagen's favor in the following sense. Remember I said that he's got this reformation project going on that I thought this was a big step, but not a complete step. This would actually be another sort of like, do you get if you if you end up losing all those fights and then you beat Song Yudong, Chito Vera, and then Marab, A, you couldn't be denied a title shot. And by that point, you probably have really worked on the pieces of your game that need to be worked on to get back there. Conversely, who's a tougher fight for Marab, Chito or Corey Sandhagen? That's a tough one. That is a tough one. I'd like to see. Oh, I can't wait for all these styles to keep I matching know. to I one know. another. Damn. Look, so um, final point on Bantamweights, unless you have more. Um, no, that's it for me. Is is Aljo TJ like the great fight on paper that really nobody's talking about? Like, dude, this is this is a fucking awesome fight. I feel like, like you know, we're not getting the like, hey, dude. 36 days till you know i mean come on Luke. i think i think the fans are slowly warming to sterling you know the mma media was a big believer of his and then you know he had a couple of tough losses because that's that's fighting everyone does and then you know the first yon fight didn't go his way and the second yon fight people are in denial about even though that was you know a great win by him i just feel like it's being overshadowed on a very important card number one and then beyond that 
there hasn't quite the the uh, the, the popularity of the game hasn't quite caught up to uh, Sterling's accomplishments and abilities. There's like a gap there, and so I think that's as a consequence, it's kind of overshadowing it. Plus, dude, like you know, having the number thirteen guy fight the number one ranked guy is fucking crazy. Like that's just gonna bring more. You know, it's just yeah. it's just a, it's just a it's just a lot of noise that is hard to ignore. It's so crazy and so unusual. So do we know what the a, early odds are? Card. Do you know the early odds on Aljo Dillashaw? Aljo Dillashaw. Let's see. Aljamain Sterling. Um, let's it's got to be really close, like minus 170 plus, you know, 125 type close, right? So uh, what we have here is, let me see here. We've got, oh, Jesus, this thing is, I mean, could these betting places make their fucking sites harder to read? I mean, what, you know, what are they doing here with, with my life? All right, so the opening odds, I can tell you the opening odds. The opening odds have Sterling as a slight favorite, minus 140 to Dillashaw's plus 120. That sounds yeah. about what you were saying, more or less, more or I less. I got Caesars updated. Is uh, Sterling minus 165, TJ plus 140. Damn, I love mm, this fight. Interesting. Give it Slight to me. movement even more towards the champ. That's <sighs> interesting. But uh, Do you think yeah. TJ should come out with Lance Armstrong in his corner, Luke? Just be like, fuck y'all. You should come out with Gordon Ryan. I mean, dude, ADCC not giving a fuck about drug <clears> testing <throat> is my favorite thing on earth. All right. Uh, let's do this. Point number five here, BC. We close with the co-main event from this card. Gregory Rodriguez. Dude, he had to overcome some adversity against Chidi Kawani, but RoboCop gets it done. My question to you, BC, is not what he did was impressive. Of course it was impressive. Is he now a threat to you thinking? Now he has to rise to the, the ranks, but... Is he now a threat that folks should be really talking about in the middleweight division? Yeah, I mean, if you said, is he now a threat to the title? No, but is he, I think that the the arc is becoming, is he, you know, the new must-see TV guy, right? You know, he's a, he's a different type of entertainment that a tie to Ivasa brings, but, dude, this guy is grimy as F, Luke. I mean, you, you like, do we have, well, there's Luke. Hey, Luke, do we have pictures of this cut at all? I'm sure we do, Luke. I mean, Let's this see. is just so cheaty, cheaty, bang, bang came to to do that. I mean, the, this comeback is absurd, but the toughness of Rodriguez, the ability to carry the power, um, I I need to see him against anyone. So is he? A, he's a contender now for my viewership, Luke. I'll tell you that uh, he makes great fights, but I mean, we got you know you got to you got to do this a few more times. You gotta you know you gotta you got right. Okay, but he's got very good MMA jiu-jitsu. He's, I think, only 30 and survived a very, like, stern striking test. By the way, returned the favor in the first round because that was a wild-ass round and then came out and finished the job in the second. Here's who is at 11 to 15 in this, in this division. Kelvin Gastelum, Nasurdin Imavov, Drikas Duplessis, Brad Tavares, and Chris Curtis. Now, I grant that there is more he has to get do before we're at those fights. But the skills he's showing, the resiliency he's showing, those are things that could carry him very far. No? Yeah. I mean, he is. He, he looks a lot older than he is. And yeah, he's he looks, got he that. Looks like he's 50. He's got that stubborn old man type, heavy damaging strength and also just that I mean it reminds me of Glover Teixeira and like the determination that just drips off of him in that regard um uh, let's let, let's get him I mean look I'm not you know Chidi is no pushover 
But let's get him in there now with a guy in the top 15, and let's let him pass that test. Uh, certainly entertainment-wise, we're going to be right there. Look, do you feel like this comeback is like it's not getting the kind of play it could like or should? Like This was wild television. I just feel like MMA is so routinely crazy week over week that it's just hard to keep up. By the way, he lost his contender series bout in 2020, then went to LFA, had two KOs in a row, gets signed with the UFC. He decisions Dusko Todorovic. He beat Park Jung Yong via KO. He did lose to Armin Petrosian via split decision. There's some controversy about that. But then he KO'd Julian Marquez, and then he finished off Chidi Njikawani. Yeah, he's got some work to do before we're talking about beating ranked guys. But the level of improvement, especially in the face of adversity to me, is sort of the takeaway that I have here. He's yes. very good about um, either learning from a mistake over the long term or not succumbing to error in the short term uh, if he can avoid it. Um, pretty well, he's, pretty amazing. He's, to be able to create dramatic moments consistently, you need to have like a, a next-level poise when shit goes, goes bad. And he seems to have a very special ability to navigate extreme danger and still make very smart decisions under duress. And, uh, you know, he, that, that, you know, that's why I wanted to shout out Song Yudong before Luke, which was the other kind of crazy back-to-back fights we saw with these cuts. Um, you get cut that badly and it, it, it affects your potentially protect, perfects your affects your performance that badly guys fold Luke. Great fighters fold in that regard. And both of these guys were like, damn, I mean, damn Luke. I mean, Jan was like, they, they was like they were pouring cups of blood into his eye. I mean, it was just, it was everywhere. Yeah, that doctor was. Or not Jan, Song Yudong, excuse me. Song Yudong, yeah. That doctor was, he's like, yeah, fuck it. You know, he's like Ivan Drago. Like, if he dies, he dies. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. that was great. It was it was so like, he was basically like, hey, referee, what a, it's on you. What a, you know, whatever you want to do, you know? I mean, like, honestly, he would only intervene if what? Someone pulled out a shank and just started fucking stabbing the other guy a little bit. Like, short of that, I don't know what well, didn't kind it of build, cut. Didn't his liberal ways build drama, not just that it made it more violent, but that he would often tell, like, Herb Dean, okay, watch closely, one more strike. So you were almost waiting for, like, can the other guy land that one strike? And that's what made the, the RoboCop win so insane, is you're sitting there waiting for Cheaty to land that one big strike, and then he gets gets hit with that thumper and suddenly, like disconnects and falls apart. You don't see that, Luke. Certainly not in that type of dramatic moment. I mean, damn, dude, that was fun as balls. And I and shout out to whoever's decision it was, UFC, Disney, whoever, to put that UFC card earlier, that 7 p.m. main card. Was that just so Dana and Rogan could get over to the uh, T-Mobile to see the Triple G fight, Luke? I yeah, hope. I saw, it was- I saw Rogan in attendance there at that. Probably. Also, yeah, they just didn't want to compete. You know, with Triple G, if they for for attention dollars, if they didn't have to, so and and Canelo. Uh, all right, that is it for our top five. There will be an extra credit a little bit later today, so be on the lookout for that. But now it is time where you guys get to ask us questions. It's time for DMs from the Diggity Dogs. Hee haw, hee haw. Which, by the way, I don't think I have them here in my email, so you can just put them up on the screen, and I shall read them. What do we have here? We've First, got mail. Viewers. From yeah. Caleb Hall underscore MMA. What would have been the best Jose Aldo fight <clears throat> that we never got to see? Against Dominic Cruz? Maybe? I don't know if that's the well, best. I, that was be, a big be, one that was wanted for a while. Besides the Connor rematch, Luke? Oh, uh, I guess the Connor rematch would be the biggest one. Yeah. Well, would that be the best one? I mean, it's hard. This, You know why it's hard? Because he fought everybody. That's why it's hard. Um,. Yeah, I mean, there was a time when 
there was a lot of discussion about like when Cruz was in his prime and Jose was or when they were both champions, basically. Um, could that be a fight that happens that we never got? That's probably one. The McGregor rematch is another one. I'm trying to think. Brian of Ortega at 145. You already saw the Volk. You saw Max. Yeah, it's probably one of those two. I'm gonna guess. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, or Tracy Cortez. And- how about this? <laughs> how about Jose versus uh, Patricio Pitbull? That's one. Oh, balls, dude. Balls to the yeah. <laughs> That's a fun wow. One. Balls across the nose. Yes, Luke. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I'm a kid. Is there still time? Can we do that, Luke? Please. I don't know if we wow. can, but that would be a fun one for sure. All right. Next. From Mikey Mo Miles. If Canelo that's continues our... his ways of jumping. Yo, from no, no, hold on. That's that's Mikey Morms. That's the producer, Luke. I wouldn't Dancing know. I don't, fo- I, don't follow him on, I don't follow him on Instagram. I, I should have. Apparently though. not. Apparently we just found that out. Yep, there we go. Yeah, if Canelo continues his ways of jumping from promotion to promotion, which fights can he make with DAZN or elsewhere that would be more entertaining than a Charlo and Benavidez to fight Showtime deal? What? So what he's basically saying is, isn't the best move for Canelo in terms of signing with a promoter going to PBC and Showtime or Fox, but they're getting, you know, they seem to be getting out of it because the Charlo and Benavides fights might be the two most attractive. The counter to that off the surf on the surface, Luke, I'll say is that um, even Canelo signing that two fight deal with Eddie Hearn surprised me because he's in such a position of leverage that I don't see him doing anything but signing kind of like one offs in the direction he wants to go. So if he wants to fight Bivol next on his own with the idea of fighting, then the winner of better Beav and Joe Smith on ESPN, he, in theory, could do that. But to the spirit of Mikey's question, no, there is not another one-stop shop that gives you the potential of fights you still want to see beyond PBC. They've got the lock right now on the, on the 168 who matter. So um, you have anything to add there, Luke? Is there a Canelo fight separate from Benavidez and, and Bivol that you still really want? Errol Spence one day at 162? I don't know. I mean, there's other ones you could do, but this is my whole point. It's like the the the, the current claim to fame, as we talked about, was the 168 belts. Like, if you don't beat Bivol, again, here's the thing: if he beats Bivol, which is unlikely, but let's say he does, that could change the equation, right? That changes the equation a little bit. But yeah. if he loses again, it's like I don't even know what the other options would fucking be at this point. Uh it's just that. So, yeah. So, but, but by my the hope way, is, my hope is that, well, it's my, I was going to say, I don't want him to lose to Bivol. I don't want him to win. I don't have a, I don't have a say. But if he does lose to Bivol, I do hope that in the intervening time, as we said previously, that Caleb Plant fights Benavidez and we can get some kind of resolution about that. Either you can do a Plant rematch or Benavidez wins and you get a fresh match up there. Either one of those would be fine by me. Or yeah, Charlo Caleb Plant, or whatever the fuck. You know. Caleb Plant's fighting uh, Anthony Durrell on the uh, Deontay Wilder October Fox undercard. By the way, now being trained by um, uh, the bread man, Stephen Edwards, uh, Caleb Plant. Caleb Plant? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, his right. dad, Richie, still in the corner, but but it uh, looks like they brought him in. Uh, the only thing else I was going to say there, Luke. Uh, Here yeah, you know, I, 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 I forgot. A few two Delta 8 gummies this morning? No, no, no. no just, just coffee, Luke, and AG1, all right? All right, next. Uh, here we go. From St. John underscore either Canada or California. Where was BC's humor during the Canelo interview? Feeling a vibe he wasn't in the mood? 
thought the phone ringing was a perfect segue for you. <laughs> so the answer to that, it's a great point, uh, is I couldn't hear Canelo. There were audio issues where I could I could barely hear him, but those things are so rapid fire. In the moment, I almost didn't want to risk like stopping down and starting again. It was one of those satellite interviews where you get seven to eight minutes with the guy, but it is still pretty valuable for us to create content off of. So if I had heard him, I would have played that up more. And actually the only reason why I went four minutes was because I couldn't hear him. So I just thought, Hey, let's put this thing to bed and take it for what it's worth. I was surprised that it was that short. I thought, it, I thought I did about eight with him, but I was way off. Um, yeah, Luke, I don't know. You know, like some people are like, man, this guy BC is the most annoying person of all time. Can't you just be serious for once? Dude, I, I I hate those interviews. Like you're like, oh, you're gonna get to interview the you know the main event fighters on this cattle call, and I used to do them all the time when I had a radio show where you know you just kind of take them when you can get them and it's fine. But dude, like they're, they're, for folks that understand, like in this case he was doing video, but either way, it used to be all all over the phone. They do this, then they hang up, then they call another station, then they hang up and they call another station. But whenever you get them, first of all, they're always late. They're always late because the people in front of you have always taken two, three minutes extra, and it just adds up by the time it gets to you. And then they just never give a fuck about talking to you. You know, like the best way to get these interviews is you got to be like the first guy, or you have a separate, or you know, it's hard to do that obviously when you have an international star like Canelo. But it's just I, I just don't love the cattle call interviews personally. Well, while they are you know the fast food of it and not always effective, it does challenge you to, to get strategic in the way that you try to get content. And I have found one thing you can ask asshole really hard questions during those Luke. Cause you know, you're only getting five, six minutes and uh, that's sometimes the quickest way to get a, a real answer or a real reaction or something is being very direct about something that, you know, they probably don't want to talk about, but that's how we win. That's how we fight back. Luke. That's right. Kidding. All right. Next. <clears throat> Uh, from NY Spawn 91, seeing that the UFC seems to be keeping the Apex fights, should slash could they build their own UFC arena to hold fights in? You mean the UFC Apex? No, but they're saying with the lack of seating in there, if they're already doing the I know, Apex. I know what they're saying, but it's like, yeah. hey, with the Apex being what it is, could the UFC build a facility where they host their own fights? Yeah, they've got that. I know he's saying it's more of a consumer-friendly one. Yeah, the UFC doesn't love anything more than vertical integration, right? Where they can control every part of the business chain from the creation of the product to its delivery and its consumption. I bet they would love to. I don't know I don't know how doable that is in Vegas because they also want to keep open the relationship with the casinos. They can make a lot of money that way as well. Um, you oh, know, that's a good they, point. That's if, a good point. I'm sure they're financial. I'm sure there is a, re a financial relationship with MGM properties that would that would make that not in their their favor to do it because they can because they're probably you know getting site fees and, and bonuses to be able to do that but right remember they have the and also they have a deal with mgm through t-mobile to bring a certain amount of fights there every year right anyway, so. and it's like why did floyd mayweather fight every single fight of his career at the, at the mgm grand or t-mobile down you know once he became a pay-per-view star because i'm sure they made it financially uh that that was probably the reason they probably made it uh bountiful but i i would like to see some, is there a middle ground? Because you you want them to keep the apex because it is perfect for like contender series or or tough. I don't you know, although they don't use it for tough, but you get my point. It is perfect for like that type of intimate for a reason. But there should be some kind of home house in between, Luke. Well, here's um, here's what you're here's the problem you're trying to solve, and it's very doable, I think. Which is they can't 
first of all, they have an existing deal to honor. And to the other point, it's in their financial interest to take big fights to T-Mobile or wherever the fuck in Las Vegas, <clears> right? <throat> so you don't change that. But is there some place where, like, it's not like they're taking the fight night cards to the Pearl at the Palms like they used to. It's not like they're putting fight night cards on anymore at Mandalay Bay Event Center like they used to. So yeah. what you need is a fight night venue that is big enough to accommodate 10, 15,000 people, something like that, that Let me you, give you the answer. control. The answer is actually the Mandalay Bay, which is, it's arguably the best place to see a fight anywhere. I love Mandalay and they, and Bay. The big fights don't go there to you know consistently anymore. You'll see like a random Showtime card or a random whatever, but like that's intimate enough. It's one of the. It's clear, certainly one of the best places you can watch a fight. It's so intimate and it's just perfect. The sight lines. So maybe that should be the in between. Where no, no, that's what he's saying is on that. They, so if you've ever been to like the the UFC offices, most of you watching this have never been, but they've got this, it's on this like it's it's off the highway and there's all this land around them. I think the vast majority of which they own. Could they build another venue around there? Now, that would be off strip, so there's a little, some concerns, but could they build another venue somewhere else in Vegas sure. just for fight nights if they wanted to? Probably they could. Probably they could. I mean, you'd have to, I guess you'd have to look at the expenses and how much they can make off the gate. And yeah, I mean, that, I mean, we are getting to the point where they should just build their own biodome, Luke, with Pauly Shore and um, the uh, Stephen Baldwin. You ever see the uh, documentary about the real biodome that was built and everyone was inside and they started fucking each other and going crazy? It's great. Wow. Sounds like the Olympic Village for the athletes, Luke. <laughs> so I hear. Um, yeah. Hey, I watched the Tim Donahue uh, Netflix Untold. Did you Did you see that, Luke? I haven't seen that one yet. Is it good? It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's It, it paints the NBA in a very, very dark light. Very. very. They basically uh, paint the NBA as being a mafia. That's that's a little strong, but what are you gonna do? Well, uh, you, right. w- watch it for yourself, Luke, and then get back to me about Manti Teo's girlfriend. All right. All right. Uh, one more. One more. I think from Jonathan to Darien, whatever the fuck. Jonathan Ogden, the the uh, Hall of Famer, Luke. Yeah, that's right. After seeing Gordon Ryan's performance at ADCC, how much of a threat is he day one of MMA? See, I don't know. I don't know how well-suited his game is for MMA. Obviously, his attacks from the back are well-suited. He's got some wrestling, but it's, it's, it's wrestling very much designed around no-gi rules and realities. Uh, I don't know anything about his striking. I don't know anything about beyond that. So, like, obviously, if he gets into a wrestling or grappling exchange, remember something. And Ryan Hall explains to me once, and it's, it's very obvious, but it's worth saying out loud as a way to think about if you go to a jiu-jitsu match or tournament, you have to beat the other person with your jiu-jitsu. You can't use anything else. In MMA, no one is obligated to do jiu-jitsu with you. You have to force it on them. So you have to have a game where you, where you can apply that, and that is going to be most meaningfully through setups of the striking, and then obviously your wrestling. I don't know exactly how well that translates, but for, we're going to talk about this on extra credit, but for the no-gi jiu-jitsu game... Dude, he is, he doesn't have, I don't even know who'd be a close second at this point. Not Felipe Pena, not anymore. Uh, He is on an island. He's the best no-gi grappler ever. He's the first guy to win a weight class, or an ADCC title across three different weight classes. Dude, he dummied these fucking people. Like, they didn't even, he 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 didn't surrender a single fucking point. That's Dan. The only time I ever care is when he, when he talks all that shit and I see it on Instagram, Luke. I like that. All right. He talks a gang of shit and every, he's very polarizing. He's got some worldviews that let's, to put it mildly, I don't share. 
Um, and he's, so a lot of people hate him for it. A lot of people like him. He's very polarizing. But the question is not that. The question is how good is he? He doesn't have a rival at all. At all. Not in any weight class. Not anywhere. Um, he's remarkable. So, Luke, our, you know our social media producer, Brendan? Yes. Brendan Lynch. Do you think you could survive without tapping eight minutes with him um, in a yes match? Survive probably. I'd probably be all right. Surviving is, you know, that's all. That's all Andre Galvan was doing against uh, fucking Gordon Ryan for about twenty minutes. But um, yeah, surviving probably I'd be okay. Anything more than that, I'm too old and pathetic. All right, with that out of the way, BC, it's time for your feces. Time for old BC's feces. <laughs> hey, here's what I did. Like I do every Sunday, I scoured the globe for the highs and lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the in between in combat sports and beyond. We call this. Have you seen this shit? Have you seen this I'll, motherfucking shit? I'll, Luke, I am being told, and and that was me talking to myself, that this is among the best batches of shit we've ever had, okay? So get ready, all right? All right let's see it. Old man Thomas hates shit. All right, here we go. UFC fight night in Vegas. Dude, Anthony Hernandez damn near killed Marc-Andre Berrio uh, via Head and arm pile driver here, Luke. Good lord. Yeah, I saw this. This isn't supposed to happen. I don't think he intentionally meant to do it. And he does Dude. break his fall a little bit with his right hand, if you notice. Right there. Dude, they've but, cleaned uh, up this sport a lot, Luke, but that that could kill a man. I mean, seriously, that's that's not good, dude. Dude, I'm surprised we haven't seen like deaths in MMA, like especially in UFC, like there's enough screening to prevent most of those. But like paralysis, I haven't seen personally and like obviously in a major promotion oh, i haven't God. seen paralysis i hope i never do yeah. but yeah. i wonder how far apart that or far away we are from that yeah do you want the 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 blue pill which gives you ct on the long term or the pile driver which is instantaneous i mean come on luke this is crazy that is uh, terrible one of my favorite fighters uh loma luke boon me luke uh Came, came back with a much-needed win against Denise Gomes here, but almost got caught up, Luke. I don't know. Did she hear a whistle? We're halfway through a round. Watch Luke boom me just kind of be like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done here. That's cool. Yeah, fuck all this bullshit. <laughs> that's, that, that's you. That's you at the ending of MK. It's like, dude, there's still time left on the clock. Like, you're just fucking walking. Uh, yeah, Luke, she fought hard in this fight. Uh, shout out to Luma. She uh, won and had a message afterwards about uh, people who are depressed. You know, I thought yes. it was a very nice message. I didn't know that Danny Ruby uh, reps her, Luke. Shout out to yes. Danny Rube, right? Yeah, Danny yeah. Rube uh, reps her. That's right. Ruby Sports in the house. Oklahoma wrestling, baby, right? What else do you have I to say about Danny Rube? I regret making that hairline joke that time. I really do. He's a great guy, okay? He's a great guy. Uh, Luke, um, if you're going to be like anybody, be like Joe Pfeiffer. Because he made his UFC oh. debut and <laughs> knocked this guy the hell out, Luke. Yeah, dude. Alan Amadovsky just sat him fucking down. What did you think about the creativity here to set this up? Uh, pretty good. I've not watched the fight in full, uh, so I have to go back and look to see exactly how he did it. But um, okay. but that uppercut to overhand right, lift the chin, and then let him go. That's nice. Well, paging Dr. Nash, Dr. John S. Nash who probably has a doctorate in economics, Luke. Let's hear Joe Pfeiffer in the post-fight interview. Thank you to Dana White. That man gave me cash on the side and gave me a place to live for the next year. And it's my birthday today. I'm 26 years old. I want that 50K bonus because I'm the birthday boy. Let's go! 
So, Luke, I have nothing bad to say about an exciting young fighter here in Joe Pfeiffer, but to the... <laughs> are, you, to are, the you using, are you using this to make another dumb point about a conspiracy theory? But to, you know, the elephant in the room, a.k.a. the IRS, Luke, um, is this another uh, Nelk Boys bonus back, Luke? Because, you know, yeah, I'm I glad mean, to I see love, it. I love your theory. Let's uh, ignore court orders and uh, put ourselves in potential contempt in the most uh, important in the most important litigation the company has ever faced. Also, Joe, Joe Piper did, can have a place to live. That's very. It's a very intelligent um, theory. On, on Joe Piper's Instagram stories, he posted a pic of the car and, and insinuated that you know Dana had got it for him. Luke, I don't know why they're this close, but um, all right, there you go. There we go. Okay. I mean, I'm happy, I'm happy for him, but that's all accounted for in discretionary bonuses. So, yeah. Okay. Look, he wasn't on the call on Saturday, but as we mentioned, hey, look, kids, Dr. Joe Rogan off the clock cage side at the UFC. Is that Dude, a, how, a much com- do those, how much do those fucking glasses weigh that they're wearing down the front of his shirt like that? Oh, yeah. I don't think that's a natural V-neck. I think it just got that way, Luke. Yeah, there you go. Hey, is those that a Chuck Mindenhall? Like pounds. Is he wearing a Chuck Mindenhall Boston Scally, Luke? Go back one more time. Show it. Yeah, I don't know if that's the official man in the hat one, but uh, there it is. Is that Tony Hinchcliffe next to him, or did I make that up? Uh, I don't know. Or is that Randy Felt? He's, he's got headphones on. That seems a little aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what the stars do. Uh, look, let's go to Canelo Triple G3 in Las Vegas. And hey, look, kids, it's Dr. Joe Rogan off the clock again, this time with uh, celebrity friend Dave Chappelle. So what a night for Joe. See, Dave's got the right idea. He just wears the glasses. He doesn't ruin yeah. the front of his T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There it is, right there. Good analysis. All right, let's keep it going here, Luke. <laughs> I mean, what uh, this was a. Say? What do you want me to say about them two being at the fights? Yay! This was a pre-fight interview uh, with Triple G during fight week, where he was asked how much moving up to 168 for the first time will affect his eating this week. You know, like same, probably the same, just only a couple, maybe just maybe like one, two. More dinners, you know, more burgers, more tacos, you know. One, one or two more dinners per night or what? <laughs> per, per night, per night. More extra tacos, not three other, five tacos. There we go. Uh, Luke, Triple G, you may be thinking, how does an athlete, you know, that typically toned? Although, dude, didn't he look doughy and like, he looked a little doughy there on Saturday. I mean, he's old, an old bro. man. He looked—he didn't look doughy. He just—I'm mean, sure he trained his ass off. He just looked old. Yeah. He looked old. Well, he's been asked in the past. There's a famous soundbite I used to play on my boxing podcast of him saying, "I eat steak every day. I love steak." But Luke, that comment about beef and tacos did remind me to throw back to his 2013 win over on independent pay-per-view against Nobu Hiro Ishida in Monte Carlo, in which the the cryon graphic there on the lower third, his favorite food, Luke. Meat. Okay, there you go. All right, like, here it is. Like just meat, like uh, just any kind of meat. You know? uh, roast beef, apparently, Luke. Okay, you know, uh, yeah. All right. Um, Luke, this think, was oh, a serious question. Do you think Gennady Golovkin has ever eaten at Arby's? Oh, hell yeah. No. I, zero, I bet you when he came to the States the first time. chance he's ever eaten at an Arby's. Dude, he gets down with the beef and cheddar and the curly fries. A hundred in the If Jamoka I see shake. an Arby's in like a small town, I automatically feel bad for them. Oh, I automatically go there. Right, well, that was the old me, Luke, but you know, my <laughs> liver is, uh, yeah. Uh, Luke, we did get a wholesome moment. Not not a great fight, but did you did you pop for the respect between two rivals, warriors, putting the, no, the strife I hated down? It. I fucking hated it. Okay. If, if I mean, they it had was... had if they had had a gutsy, you know, yeah. war, I'd be like, all right, cool. 
And I get that that you know they're allowed to have whatever feelings that they want to have after the fight, and I'm and I'm fine with it. But like, did I pop for it? Fuck no, I didn't pop for it. Didn't it compare to that Conor McGregor Floyd Mayweather hug after their fight at the on the dais where it just looked like they were celebrating like stealing from a bank? You know, it was like we did <laughs> yes. it. They were celebrating us. like, we, dude, we got motherfucking paid today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Luke, on this undercard, I didn't want to let it go by without uh, shouting out here Fresno's Mark Castro. With the sick uppercut KO, Tony Weeks, the referee, not even needing to count. Look at that. Woo. Stepped into it while the guy was leaning over, too, boy. That is, he ate. Look at that. All of that shit. That right under the jab. Hell, Timed it perfectly. Hell of a shot. Hey, Luke, I do happen to have audio of Canelo's response regarding the Benavidez comment, so let's go to that quickly. Guys, always I say this. You show that video and put whatever you want. When I say... I don't want to fight Mexican is because I represent Mexico and that's why, but I don't care. I fight anybody and I fight all my entire life. Anybody, what do you think? I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to fight with Juan Mexico or Benavides, but I look, I, I hear his dad talking a lot of shit, but look what he's, look, he's accomplished nothing. One single champion, Anthony Derrell. Please, don't disrespect myself. Please, guys. I'm also happy Canelo stopped disrespecting himself by wearing those pajamas everywhere. Those, those uh, gaudy Hugh Hefner line. Look, he's back in street clothes again, so that's also good to see. I like the but, suit, you know, but I, got, I, I just didn't like those comments very much. I know, like, like I get it, but I also am beginning to not not love it. Um, Real did recognize Real Luke backstage as uh, Canelo met up with Steph Curry, who was in the crowd. I can't tell if they are taking a selfie here or admiring each other's DM nudes. Luke, your your thoughts? Did, did, have you ever seen that? The it's like a I saw it like on a Sports Center Instagram reel where like they are on the golf course and then. Steph Curry gets a little ballsy and was like, hey, let's face off. And then Canelo. I did like, see that. Yeah. Yes. Canelo catches him between punches like a motherfucker. Oh, and yeah. He was like, yep, just, had enough. That's good. I'm, we're all good. Did you see OBJ calling Canelo before the fight? I did. I did. Okay. It was awkward because it was like like broken ink. Canelo's like, yeah, 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 good. Okay. You know, no, I weird. hate it because he's like, how you feeling, champ? He's like, I feel good. I feel good. Yes, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. But they don't really say yeah. shit to each other. I, I, I don't like it. Luke, our producer Courtney uh, responded over text by saying Julia Rose could catch these hands. I just wanted you. To, I just wanted to make sure that the I'm, ethos. I'm seeing, I'm seeing that here. Yes. Uh, Luke, wholesome moment of the week. Like the late great Kobe Bryant, Luke. You are a hashtag girl dad, but so is Canelo. Here's after the fight. Luke, is that how Tuki greets you after every MK episode? Uh, not after every MK episode, but when I pick her up from school, I get that kind of treatment. Makes you feel like a million bucks, man. I mean, what, that was that was great to watch, right? That was a good wholesome moment on this show. That's a All very right? wholesome moment. That's a very wholesome moment. And, She's like, uh, Poppy! My, my wife and I, we had we went on a, we went to Philly for uh, the weekend, and then when we came, we just for one night, and then when we came back, our daughter greeted us uh, inside the house that way. So it was nice. Great, great stuff. Uh, Luke, let's see the actual KO of the week, and it came from Tuesday's Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, get ready to meet Bruna Brasil with this head kick stoppage. 
of Marnik Man. Damn. That's like, that. you know what that reminds me of? Because almost in her mannerisms with the way she fell as well. It reminds me a little bit. It's not quite as devastating, but it's pretty close to the uh, Rashad Evans, Sean Salmon knockout. Oh, God. Where he gets hit and Sean Salmon actually comes forward a little bit and then does the testifying and church bit afterwards, you know. It's like he put his toes right in Sean Salmon's mouth. He's like, you got a foot fetish, bro? Right? I don't no? think he put his toes in his mouth. Okay. More on that later. Uh, Luke, pre- <laughs> uh, uh, Florida President Ron DeSantis is uh, still considering Florida, a run. Florida at the in- President? You mean governor? Yes, Florida President of that other nation down there, Luke. Uh, still considering a run for the big one in 2024, but right now he's on the campaign trail signing skull cans, Luke. <laughs> Oh, wow. that is fun. And by the way, by the way, not Skull, that's Zen, which if I'm not, I could be wrong about this. I think those are like bandits, which, you know, they're like the little pouches you put in your mouth. And, I'm, and here's my view on this. And by the way, I think Zen is just nicotine, so I don't know if it's the same. But if the nicotine things are separate, but if you're just going to get regular like tobacco, you can't use the fucking bandits at all. Like you can't Dude. do that. Okay, but like. You know, I'm not coordinated. I don't roller skate or ski, Luke. I can't keep from accidentally swallowing that and puking for six straight hours. Not that I've dipped (laughs) in the last, you know, two and a half decades. But, Luke, I used to. It's not that hard to not throw up. I got to be honest. I dipped for years. It's really not that hard. Yeah, but once you do it, like once you drunkenly accidentally swallow it and then you throw up for, you know, hours, really, to be fair. um, It's that fear Almost makes the experience not enjoyable that the packets are like a condom for that, Luke. Let's be fair here, okay? No, the packets, if you pack it tight enough, right? I mean, who wants mouth chlamydia, right? (laughs) If you pack it tight enough, it's not a problem. And also, this is a true story. People don't believe me when I tell them this, but it's 100% fucking true. And I, I saw it with my own eyes over and over and over again. Dude, my drill instructors at boot camp, they would dip in their mouth and they would swallow the juice all day long. That's just so... I watch them do it. I mean, I've seen people eat the green on a watermelon. I've seen people swallow sunflower seeds left and right, even though it makes you shit sideways. I mean, who would want to do that, Luke? But that's just disgusting. It's pretty fucking gross, but those dudes were tough. They were tough. They were tough fucking guys. God. Wow. All right. Uh, Luke, speaking of pro wrestling there, nice segue from DeSantis. Um, Roman Reigns and Logan Paul are going to headline the WWE Crown Jewel pay-per-view in Saudi Arabia on November 5th. They actually did a real sports-like press conference, which had your typical amount of theatrics. Okay, I'm not going to waste time asking you, do you care? I know you don't. But, dude, Logan just went from like, hey, he's not bad at this, to now wrestling the, the biggest name in, the big, you know, in a big pay-per-view. Are you impressed? You impressed by this, Luke? Um, and when you say impressed, what are you impressed by? What by how like legitimate he is? Like I know that you know Lawrence Taylor had a WrestleMania main event match. I know that you anyone can do that one time, but like they're putting him in there with the biggest guy. Like they must believe that he can really carry this and work. What is That's the pretty... fan, so? I'll ask you this: What is from what you can tell? What is the fan base's response? Uh, to be fair, I don't know because I'm not watching. I only kind of catch this stuff on social media because I still follow a lot of these accounts. But I, I, I'm going to tune in. I, you know, I want to see the build because I want to see, like, can he work the mic? Like, how good is he actually? Because this is a big opportunity. I'll say this. I, I, I've only ever seen shit like uh, like Sports Center when he I, he was at WrestleMania, right? I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, he, he did, some, did that. He did some, jump through the table. Yeah, he did something where he jumped off the 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 the, the turnbuckle, whatever the fuck. Um, top rope. Someone was on yeah. the table. 
and he landed on top of them. He looked pretty fucking athletic doing that. I'll say that. So beyond that, I don't really give a shit, but he does appear to be well-suited for that. It's, it's, it's an interesting move here. WWE making a lot of changes in the post-Vince era, Luke. They're knocking on my door again, but I, I'm not ready to open it. Uh, let's go to regional MMA. That's some wild shit that you never thought you'd see. How about spinny shit gone wrong into spinny shit gone right? Look at this finish. Oh. Wow. Oh. Good he God. Did, he did the old Nate Marquardt on Wilson Gouveia where, let me show it again, it's like spinning... Let's see, spinning back fist into like a head kick that misses, and then he just goes for the old spinning back elbow. Fucking A. That's oh, a perfect Lord. shot. That's arguably your real knockout of the week. Damn. All right, let's go to some Russian MMA, Luke. Uh, this this is a pretty good KO of the week candidate. Bob, yeah, God. I saw this one. Kaposa posted this one. This is, is all Kaposa. Yeah, this Jesus. is a... a Grabaka By the way, did you see, I don't know if you're going to have it. Did you see the fucking guy who was doing the yeah, interview in like a Russian MMA thing and then the other no, dude runs up on him? I got that in the in the, in the the bin for next week, Luke. Okay, um, okay, but okay. yeah, that's good. Hey, Luke, uh, kickboxing soccer KO of the week. This can't be legal. I mean, what what is this? Yeah, that seems a little much. That's, <laughs> I mean, do you, you probably get cut for, and arrested for doing that, right? That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, he gets pushed off balance, not even hit. He's just like, fuck it. Take this L. Hold that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's go to the backyard fighting pit. We're all over the place regionally this week. Uh, watch the guy in the sweatshirt deliver the boom. P.O.D. style. Oh. <laughs> wow. Payable upon dirt, Luke. That's where the oh, back of that guy's head is. Jesus. Hit. I mean, dude, look at this guy. It's like it's like you know this the 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 black guy here looks like a normal dude, and then he's going up against a dude this this white gentleman, who looks like his fighting experience is limited to the mosh pit for yep, the dying his shows. Yep, thought he was tough, Luke, and f- ended up on our show. Wow, that is dude, some I, hold sick. On a second. He gets hit with the right hand as the other guy step. By the way, the other guy looks like he's got a little bit of ability. Dude, that's like a broken brainstem. That shot, Luke. That's yeah, ridiculous. Well, look look at his lead hand. I mean, it could it be lower. Could you just put that shit around your waist next time so you can get right, hit I by mean, a I, fucking Mack truck? I mean, I don't know this guy's experience. I think I do now, actually. There you go. Uh, let's go to uh, probably the weirdest regional MMA clip we've had in a while, Luke. It was effective, though. Is this your new KO of the year in MMA? <laughs> Dude, how is MMA turning into, like, two seven-year-old brothers wrestling oh, in the living room? Wow. How did Dude, that when, when the fuck did that happen? They call that a missile drop kick in pro wrestling. I've never thought you could ever see that in a real fight. Wow. Dude, I'm telling you, everyone thinks UFC is MMA. UFC is not MMA. That's MMA. This shit right here, that is MMA. MMA is crazy and insane and hard to understand, kind of stupid, but kind of great, but kind of weird. That's MMA. Uh, Luke, I made the Rashad foot fetish joke before. I'm sorry about that. But he did. Our colleague was back on uh, a big-time podcast Ashley Evan Smith had him on. Luke, let's go to the videotape. Any fetishes like bonus. a foot fetish? Um, maybe a little. A little bit. All right. A, a, a little. A, a, listen, here's the thing about like I, like a a girl. Like I look at the feet. I do look at the feet. Like and and I and I'm not like I know good feet too. You know what I'm saying. So I'm not very picky, but 
I'm kind of picky with the now, feet. Now, <laughs> do you do you use okay? Because I feel like there's there's two two people, right? One who sees the feet and is like aroused, and then the other one who uses <laughs> the feet as an indicator of how the woman or man takes care of themselves. And it's kind of both ways for me. Like I'm oh. like I, I I can't like I don't I'm not gonna sit in the corner like you know jerk. <laughs> You know, masturbate to yeah. a bitch or nothing like that, but <laughs> to your little, to your little yeah, uh, stubby toes. Yeah, I'm, not, yeah, I'm not gonna do that to them feet, but I mean, it, like, I definitely look at it like, ooh, those are nice feet, and I'm like, you know, and I can definitely, though, there's definitely. Okay, I've seen enough. There we go. Um, she's yeah, I, this is more life. information about Rashad than I care to know. <laughs> uh, Luke, we've been making the lick the toe joke for a long time about his uh, shaman experiences. Should be lick the toe, apparently. Uh, wow. Um, uh, but that question that she asked did it did ring home true for me. She said, "You know, just looking at a woman's feet give you an indication of you know her cleanliness and hygiene, Luke. So he must think I'm a savage, right?" I don't think he cares about you, one way or the other. I will say this: uh, What happened to just being like a TNA guy? Like what? The, what the, people are like I look at the feet and uh, they have to be manicured. I'm like, all right, they can't have hooves, but like. Does, isn't like a are you, I, isn't TNA like that's the thing that's what they you know at strip well, I'm sure that man's had a feet. lot of I mean, TNA maybe got bored Luke and had to find other things who knows he lived a very uh, celebrity so you life can, you can count me in as not bored by TNA I am not bored by that. <laughs> you're like I've still had so little experience overall in these categories that still enjoying it still enjoying it yes okay uh, let's go to the uh, the soccer pitch only it's inside of a bar Luke. Theatrics ensue. Oh, yeah, he just sent that little fuck stumbling. I mean, that's Roberto Baggio level of ball control there. My, fa- my favorite part of this boy. is he just moves the ball out of the guy's way so he can walk. And he's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, elder abuse never gets old. Only the participants do. Hey, Luke, this is how a real American family moves furniture. Can you blow that up, please? <laughs> that is. You know, it's, it's, that's ingenuity right there. Hey, why don't you be less prepared for move day? It's fucking raining and you have nothing to hold the furniture in. You couldn't get a, a U-Haul truck for 20 bucks? Yeah. Really? They, apparently they couldn't, Luke. Uh, the, the Queen's and, funeral. Oh, by the was- way. By the way, driving in the fucking, not even in the fucking lane, just on the side of the road where people need to stop in case they have emergencies, these fucking hillbillies are just like, yeah, we're going to haul furniture in this fucking lane. (laughs) Oh, Omaha, somewhere in middle America, Luke. Let's go, though, now to, uh, look, the Queen's funeral this morning. I watched the live coverage on NBC, Luke. Much respect to to our our morning UK fans. Uh, But everybody's paying tribute to the Queen in their own way, including... (laughs) PFL celebrity, the liver king, Luke. I mean, this doofus. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the 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 caption on this on Twitter was, you know, it's what she would have wanted, Luke, and you know, I'm sure that's true, you know? I mean, he is such a, a, a goofball, if ever there was one. Well, the good news is he's all natty. That's the good part, you know? Yeah. Luke, we should combine. We should combine more categories for like you know we had grieving and and <laughs> liver king right there. How about we combine BBLs and uh, scooters? That sounds like a good idea, right? All right, you've captured my attention. Let's see what you got. Okay. <laughs> oh no! Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> 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 she looks. I, I'm not. I mean, how do you know she's? 
of you know she looks she could be a lot of different ethnicities. Um, and I like how, this is my favorite part about it. She's not going that fast, but she tries to talk <laughs> shit to the phone. Realizes she's going to run headlong into this fucking other scooter on the floor. Oh yeah, and then just decides, you know, I gotta, I gotta, make, I gotta, you know, take evasive action, and then just fucking collapses, which is poor. Poor female there. Wow, Luke. Uh, this week in alcohol, we got some good ones here. Luke, you remember inter- internet Instagram drinking legend Ronnie Deutsch, right? Yeah, what happened to him? Uh, he's now dressing up like Ricky Bobby and uh, and playing Papa Shot. Let's watch. <laughs> and now for the drinking exploits. Yeah, I was about to say, I didn't care any about, at all about the basketball. Just a pitcher of like Guinness or whatever the fuck that is, dude. I, I mean, one day he'll just drop, but until then, Luke, he is setting a new standard in this genre, right? Bro, and now I gotta he'll tell you that is that. I mean, as a party trick, they don't come much better than that. How, how about the autograph tour here, Luke? Tell me he didn't drink out of a fucking shoe. Oh, he's gonna sign some tea. <laughs> okay, all right, this is getting good. <laughs> a little tattoo on titty action there from old Ronnie Deutsch. Uh, well done. Uh, Luke, does this get you uh, terrified or aroused? We- we've all been in that spot where we can't find a can opener. I'm going to say that's in the <laughs> arousal category. <laughs> Was she raised by wolves, Luke? Wow. All right. I'm going to put oh, that in the definite arousal category. She has. She is handy with her mouth. Wow. Uh, Luke, let's go to the NFL stadium where, you know, the fans are of the utmost class. Oh, come on. Class. That was a good, that was a good one-liner. <laughs> Fuck you. That yeah, was it was good. It was good. It was good. Luke, here's your Cincinnati Bengals fan of the week. <laughs> okay, well, she's awful, and you should just throw her off a bridge. I mean... <laughs> Oh, you, uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, dude, why would you ever go to an NFL game? Wow. Around to get, these to get fucking, blackout drunk with, with her, these, Luke? Yeah. Around these mutants, why would you yeah. go? I mean, could you have bigger cankles, by the way, too? As okay, well? I mean, all right, Luke, all right. I mean, you know, low-hanging fruit here, okay? Sure. Her tattoos were enough, but uh, all right. Hey, Luke, Happy New Year to you if if you're celebrating, and also to this guy's ball bag. I'll never get tired of watching this. <laughs> what? Well, hold on. What is he trying to open? Uh, uh, fireworks? I don't know. Something, yeah. That, or, uh, you know, like a New Year's Eve explosion of confetti, Luke, maybe? Yeah, oh, that's... Right. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I see now. Right, right. Okay. All right. Uh, Luke, it's, yeah. it's been a long time since we've seen Conor McGregor in the cage. It's been even longer since we've seen him this rock hard with emotion. But like the Maymac weigh-in, Conor posted this video of him all kinds of jacked up... And Luke, he is, he is, uh, he's happy to be here. Got some puffiness around the nipples. Yeah. What do you think of, what do you make of this, Luke? Is he like, don't know, ready, don't know, don't know what kind of weight ass? Yeah, I don't know. He might. I mean, I don't know how kind of fast he's, or uh, what kind of uh, speed he'll have. Um, don't know how erect he's going to be, you know, when that, when time comes, <laughs> you know? I mean, we fucking are fighting here, Connor. What are, what are we doing here, bro? I mean, Wow. Wow. Hey, Luke, credit to at hectic underscore one on Twitter 
for the tip-on-tip phoner-on-phoner -phoner photoshopping skills. This picture, not for the faint of heart, but it's something, Luke. <laughs> Dude, I, but, I like, how often do you get wayward boners like this? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you're just sitting in the movie theater, all of a sudden you got Chub Rock going on in your dungeon. It doesn't happen that often for me these days. Wow, yeah. Uh, Luke, some people, though, have taken this type of humor way too far, and that person is Paulo Costa. Uh, Borja Chinya responded to that public feud between Dana White and Brendan Schaub. Um you yeah. couldn't wait to put this in here, huh? I mean, it is uh, wow. I don't, I don't have the right re reaction for this, Luke. So there you go. There it is. I gotta say, right. who f the Photoshop is well done. I have to say, I that. mean, he felt it on his face, Luke. You got a little randy. It's that is just wow. Yeah. How how okay. happy were you putting this in rotation? Be honest. I, I, you are uh, obsessed. It's, you it's are obsessed. not nice. It is not nice. I'm sorry. Let's move on here, Luke. Uh, now hear this, Luke. This is a newscasting moment that I haven't seen yet. But this guy was in for a surprise. Is that a dong? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Uh, it is. Yep. I, you know, a couple questions here to ask yourself. Really, just one. Who is the type of person you would know that would just randomly carry dildos around to a, to harass newscasters? I mean, that is uh, a that is a person who is definitely winning a Darwin Award within the next I few mean, years, right? It looks like a UK uh, football fan, to be fair, Luke. Right, dude. The UK is they are football fucking crazy over there. Yeah, man. it's hard to explain how crazy they boxing are. too, Luke, even on like the yeah. somewhat regional levels in boxing, they're insane. Like they're just, they love their shit, Luke. Okay. That's yeah, they interesting. Certainly do. They certainly hey, do. you might've thought um, people had a big week. Who had a bigger week than Mike Perry, Luke? It began with this much shared challenge to a new free agent named Nate Diaz to get in the BKFC ring in which Mike sparked up a J on Instagram then it went to this wholesome-as-shit family picture. Luke, here's three generations of Perry men. It's like an art piece that I call Ocean on Ocean. Shout-out to uh, Mike Perry's Damn, pops Perry's right there. Perry's dad's in pretty decent shape. Yeah, yeah, and, and young Ocean get, getting a nice uh, uh, right there. But, Luke, the Platinum family is not done yet. It was gender reveal time for Coach Latori and Mike. And here's the results. Check out Mike's badass uh, fanny pack. Oh, snap. And have he, a girl. like you and Kobe, Luke, hashtag girl dad. He's in the building. Very happy for the Perrys as they yeah, continue. Yeah, congratulations to them. Dude, he's doing well. He fucking beat MVP. He is. Old, old Mike Perry's. he's doing all right. I mean, considering he told me that he'd kill me when I saw him, Luke, we've come a long way, him and I. I think he's becoming my favorite fighter. <laughs> all right? Factory uh. Town MMA all the way. You know? And I gotta say, it's a you know I don't I'm not personally a big fan of uh, gender reveals, but um, this is a subdued one where, like for example, there was no no one started a California wildfire as a consequence of this. This is very <laughs> yes, yes. you know contained. I can live with those. I can. No live with children those. So were hurt. To, nobody uh, got Mike it. Perry and his family. Nobody took it to the pills. Uh, Luke, before we go to this last bit here, are you a fan of uh, PDAs? You know what that is? PDA, public display of affection. Some call it that. I call it public display of ass play. Look, let's go to the PDAs here. What a week Is for it. Someone's going to dig in their ass, and you're going to make me watch this. 
<laughs> well, sometimes it's a scratch and sniff option, Luke. I don't. Oh, know. You I are hope, so. You're the worst. I person hope in nobody America. goes there. But it started at the high school bleachers for this uh, not so young couple. What do you call that in massage school? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And then it, con- it continued. Look, this may not involve ass play, but PDA season is red hot in New York City these days. You ever stumble upon this in the, in the wild, Luke? Oh, dude, they're high as shit right now. Yeah, that's just... Dude, look, uh, dude he looks like he's trying to eat her. <laughs> and finally, uh, that wasn't ass play, but this one, yeah, well, it definitely is. And that right, silence okay. you hear is okay. Oh, okay. 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 <laughs> what, a, Luke? Okay. That was a that was a more abrasive plot twist than Million Dollar Baby. To be fair, it was. I mean, that's just wow. That wow. is um, wow. I hope both of them are executed today. <sighs> Fly them to get Saudi Arabia that. and tell them that they're heretics or whatever, and then um, have them beheaded. <sighs> That was like watching, you know, uncut gems in the theater, Luke. I needed a cigarette afterwards, right? That was a lot of emotions. That was no, unbelievable. I want to. I want to be like Garfield, where he would always mail Nermal. Was it? Was it Nermal? He would mail to uh, Abu Dhabi or wherever the fuck. Send send them to some place where some dictator will chop their head off, please. I hear Garfield. I think lasagna, Luke. Uh oh, was he a big fan of lasagna? Big, huge, huge fan. Forget. Or maybe that was forget. Heathcliff. I don't know. I watched both of them, you know? All right, BC. Uh, let's remind the folks here. That's it for today. There will be an extra credit a little bit later. Uh, let's see. We have... I think we have some stuff coming out this week. I, ha- I did an interview, by the way, with the famed UFC translator, Fabiano Busque. I think that's really? coming out this week. Yeah, I talked to old Fabiano Busque this week. Uh, Is that that? Last week. The, the Brazilian fellow with the silver hair? Uh, blonde hair. Blonde hair. But he's like middle-aged. Yeah, yeah, I think he's like yeah. roughly our age or so, something like 42, 43, oh, no. something like that. No, no, I'm talking about the older gentleman. I don't know who <laughs> you're talking about, but the dude, it's like the best translator UFC's ever had. Like, he's an amazing translator. Uh, oh, so you're talking about the him. youngest looking? Yeah, that the guy with the, he looks like Swayze and Roadhouse a little bit, like yes, the Spanish version? a little version? bit, and he, he does right. Spanish and Portuguese translation, so. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, amazing. I was thinking of the old guy. Uh, that's that's great, Luke, that's great. So and that I'm you know, I just, soon as well. And are we ever going to run that? Uh, Chuck Mindenhall room service diaries. It's only been sitting on the shelf for you know weeks. I think months, that's maybe. coming out soon. Uh, if not this okay. week, then next. So pretty soon because I don't think there's any. There's there's Bellator on Friday, but I don't think there's a UFC event on Saturday. I think it's off. They're off for a little while. So um, yes. So you, there's that as well. Uh, you care and, about uh, uh, Shakur Stevenson versus Hobson Conceso this weekend, Luke? I'm I'm fired up. Yeah, I'll watch it because there's mm, fuck all else going on. But let's remind folks: MorningCombat.store. The merch is moving. The bomber jackets are there. You can get this fucking nice shirt. You get a lot. You can what, what BC's wearing. You can get a lot of good stuff over there. Showtime.com. By the way, Friday is Bellator. Showtime.com. You get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. By the way, BC, I get lots of questions about what's going to happen with Showtime and their independent streaming service and Paramount+. Plus. I have no fucking idea. I have no yeah. idea what they're going to do. Right? No, no. I think even our, our CEO, Bob Backish, explained it that, that, you know, he was having a conversation with a partner and somebody, like, leaked it. But it's it's early conversation. They're looking at what, what they're, you know, is going to be their best move. And whether it's, you know, on an app or on an island, Luke, uh, I'm going to be there delivering 
the best fight analysis I know how, okay? Yeah, one way or the other, we're going to be doing what we do, but I don't know what that all is going to mean. Um, put up the socials there. You can see Morning Combat is everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok. And you can give us a follow there on social beyond that. BC, any final thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I don't want to, like, over... Like, it, I had a another out-of-body experience Friday night at the My Morning Jacket show, Luke. Do you, have you ever... I mean, it's like you think you know a band, and then they blow your freaking doors in into what's possible with their live show. What's and their, really what's every their number one song? What's their biggest hit? They're really one almost doesn't apply. And that's actually, I think, their secret because they, they, they flirted with crossover commercialism a couple times and they've done, you know, the, the popular talk show circuits too. But I think because they never ended up having that one, they stayed so true to their own art, Luke, and they are. They're the they're the best live band in the world right now. I, mean, I cannot believe they were that good. Have you look? My friend Bogo and I were walking out, and we looked at each other. We're like, I forgot what it felt like to go to a show and just get knocked off your feet. You know what I mean? Because sometimes you end up seeing the same band for years, and you know, and not much always changes. But I mean, I got kicked right in the face. I was I was Vitor Belfort willingly right there, Luke. That's it, how I it, felt when I saw Cannibal Corpse at the uh, the, the TLA in Philly before the pandemic. <laughs> Um, but same, uh, same I don't vibe. care about these losers. Same vibe, same vibe all the way. I mean, this like, sounds this sounds to me like hell on earth. This is how Wikipedia talks about my morning jacket genres: indie rock, fail; art rock, fail; psychedelic rock, fail; alternative country. You don't like hard rock? Fail. Wait, are huh? you trying to say that hard rock is a fail? It said art rock, art, art rock. Oh, art rock's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, southern rock I can get by with. Jam fail. Americana fail. So. Oh, wow. Probably not yeah. for me. Probably not for me. I just want to just to close how romantic this was. Not in a, you know, Bogo and I weren't holding hands. But the point is this, Luke. You ever have a favorite song and you go to your favorite band's concert and you're like, I hope they play it. Both of us, our favorite song is Phone Went West. We'd never heard it in nine shows. And they closed with it, the last song. And they and then they turned it into like November Rain with like five parts. And it, you know, sometimes it's the chef's kiss. On It was like watching a perfect game unfold in front of you. And you're not even worried if somebody makes an error or, or on a pass ball, Luke, okay? I was Conor McGregor in that video, all right? I don't think you were Conor McGregor. I think you were that Bengals fan who just vomited in their seat. <laughs> I have been that fan before. That is definitely certain and true. But uh, there you go. There you go. That's well, it. I'm glad you had All a good right. time. Glad you had a good time. Uh, that is it for us today. Again, content out tomorrow. Back live Wednesday. Yeah, a lot to do still. So appreciate you guys watching. We'll be back in a couple of days. And until then, uh, for Malka, for Showtime, for CBS Sports, for the King of Connecticut, I'm Luke Thomas. May all of your gains be loyal.